Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, kia ora, good morning. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ricardo Paul in for Smithy. Well, he's on World Cup duty, of course, 11 o'clock today. Uh, the first semi-final of the Women's Cricket World Cup. Australia take on the West Indies from the Basin Reserve. And uh, there'll be updates throughout the day for you on that match. Uh, that is why uh, Smithy is not with us today. Uh, coming up on the show, uh, we are going to talk to Grace Jale, the football fern. She has been recalled after her last uh, performance for all the Ferns was in 2018 when she was just 18. Uh, but after a, uh, so, a season with the Phoenix women's team, she's been recalled to the Football Ferns. So she is going to join us out of Melbourne after 10 o'clock. We also have the Dilmar Expertise panel uh, today. We're going to cover a bunch of stuff, including, for some reason, people are talking the America's Cup a lot. I'm not sure why. Um, no, they no, are? They are. I know. I, I no doubt we'll get to that with Did Andrew Did something Gordy. happen overnight? Uh, apparently. Huh. Apparently, yeah. Apparently there's a team... Uh, that are going to be defending it in uh, in Barcelona. I'm not sure what they're called or what they should be called, but I'm pretty sure it shouldn't be Team New Zealand. Sounds like a nice rich man's holiday to Barcelona. Yeah, exactly. In fact, actually a good mate of mine uh, is a professional photographer and he went to cover it when it was in Valencia and uh, he came back with a new wife. Um, so well done that man. Um his old wife wasn't that happy about it, but yeah, that's a whole other story. We'll get to that uh, another time. <laughs> but that is what happens on tour. Uh, now, we also have uh, Angus Tarvout's going to join us as well. After 11 o'clock, we're going to talk to, uh, as as he mentioned, the, the new jockey model. Uh, when he said jockey, Angus Tarvout and jockey, I, I assumed he didn't mean riding horses. So we'll talk to Angus about that as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure Richard Lowe would be... Would, 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 would be frowning about uh, props being uh, jockey models, but we'll talk to uh, Angus Tarvau about that and maybe about some rugby as well, especially with the news that his teammate Brody Retallick is out for six to eight weeks with a broken thumb. Uh, so we've got all of that uh, to come for you as well. And Michael Rippon, who's played a lot of cricket in New Zealand, uh, but he plays for the Dutch. Of course, he was part of the team last night that um, that played the Black Caps. Took two for 32 and 67 as well. So he had a, he had a pretty good game in the orange, didn't he, Logan? Yeah, I was quite surprised. I, maybe a few people were. You know, let us know on the Temper Post uh, text machine there. Uh, what's the number? Double eight, double three. I was, yeah, really surprised, to be honest. Uh, I mean, we all kind of thought Black Apps would come in there and just spank them. But I felt like they held their own, and Michael played really well. He was their top scorer. Uh, got 67 runs, and he bowled two for 32. So big night for him. Yeah, massive night. I mean, you you have Dutch origins, mate. You were sat on the couch last night. Were you wearing orange or were you wearing black? Come on, be honest. 
I have, if, I mean, you've seen me, you've seen my wardrobe. There's not really any pop of color of orange in there. It's all black, bay. I'm, I'm all New Zealand. He's all New Zealand. Okay, that's good. So, uh, yeah, Michael Rippon is going to join us after 9.30 this hour now. But uh, there's been a big announcement from Basketball in New Zealand around the new Women's League. It is uh, sponsored by GJ Gardner. It is called the Toihi Basketball Aotearoa Women's Competition. It is a is a whole new thing for women's sport and for women's basketball as well. And uh, joining us to talk about that is Basketball New Zealand board member, former Torfern, and former, she played for Utah, I think, in the in the WNBA. Megan Compain, g'day, Megan. Kia ora, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good. You, thank you. You forgot, you've got under sixteen uh, Wanganui Rex there in the <laughs> accolade lineup. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll amend that for next, for next time, Megan. I'll, I'll amend I'm a, under, Wanganui under sixteen. Right, I've got that down there now. Uh, <laughs> now, of course, uh, we're, we're talking here because uh, there's been been. Um, a lot of work being done by Basketball New Zealand, people behind the scenes in association with the likes of GJ Gardner and Sky Sport, of course, uh, around the women's game in New Zealand. And it's, uh, we, We've had this announcement come out today about the uh, new uh, competition and, and the new format and the way things look um, in terms of basketball for women in New Zealand. Uh, the Tao Ihi Basketball Aotearoa competition with GJ Gardner Holmes, I mean, uh, from a female perspective, someone that came through uh, New Zealand as a basketball player a few years ago when we didn't have the sort of support, I mean, what does it mean to you looking at this and, and thinking what it means for our future players? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's super exciting. Um, what it means for me is I wish I was 20 years younger uh, and, and could turn back the clock a little bit because um, it's, it's, just a, it's a game changer for the women's game here in New Zealand. You know, The pathway for basketball is traditionally is overseas and it will continue to be a uh, you know a, a development pathway to go to the states and go to college but it is a, it's providing a genuine opportunity to uh, bring players back home both our uh, domestic uh, New Zealand uh, tall fern talent but also international attracting international talent and um, to come and play in a professional league here it, and it also is an aspiration for uh, the young girls and young women that are playing the game uh, in New Zealand to aspire to be part of a league. Uh, you know, growing up, and I, I had this joke with Jenny this morning, I wanted to be a silver fern because that's the only thing you could see as mm-hmm. being able to play and, and do in New Zealand. And, and now the choices are unlimited. And we're riding this tidal wave of support with women's sport on the back of um, of cricket and Super Smash and um, Super Rugby Alpiki and the Sevens, the Black Fern Sevens, and now it's basketball's turn to shine. And I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, it's, it, it is superb. The pathways are opening up and we're getting more and more equality. And I think that's one of the things that shines through about uh, Toihi is that there is going to be equal pay in the men's league and the women's league. That, that, that's right. And that was something that was really important to Basketball New Zealand, um, to the board and to management uh, when we set out um, to, to create this league and, and make this a possibility. Couldn't have done it without the support of of Sky Sport, of course, and, and GJ Gardner Homes and, and all our other wonderful partners that have jumped on board very quickly and very early because I think uh, they, they see this opportunity uh, that there is a, that this is um, a chance to, to have these women come home or play in New Zealand and be paid to do it. You know, I know there's an age-old argument for people that don't support women's sports, like, well, why would I? It's not good. Um, you know, it, it hasn't ever been a level playing field. We've had to uh, try to play professionally while holding down full-time employment and jobs and, 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 and be mums and, and the rest of it. And um, uh, it's you know, that opportunity now for uh, 
to bring players home, play professionally, be professionals, hone their skills and hone their game and just continue to, to advance the game of basketball in New Zealand. Yeah, just lift the level, man. Lift the level all round. Um, and, and don't play. Well, look at the cricket. Yeah. Just look at the cricket. You know, I'm by no means a cricket aficionado, but I can watch it. The, the, the cricket that I've seen played in the ICC World Cup is comparable to men's cricket for me. Um, the skill level is outstanding. And that's because the, the, there's a, a shift in, in that professional attitude towards the, the, the women cricketers in the last five years. Now, uh, one thing I did want to ask you about um, uh, uh, in terms of this league is we have, I think at last count, 64 Kiwi women who are playing in the college system in the US and Canada at the moment. And just thinking about how scholarships work, can they come back in their off-seasons and play in this league without putting their scholarships in jeopardy, just in terms of being paid to play? They they can. There is a there is a consideration around amateur status, uh, so so that we we have um, allowed um, amateur positions within the teams that the college players can take up, um, so that they don't put their scholarships at risk. So it's it's um it's still uh, working very closely with the NCAA system uh, to to provide that opportunity for for the women. Um, men don't tend to do it um, because of the um, I think there's a little bit more. Um, risk involved in um, in the men's competition uh, it perceived, but you might we we might see ourselves um, further down the line that it might become a bit more challenging. But right now we do have the ability to attract that talent home to play in our league. Yeah, and that is that's fantastic news. Uh, we've it's an eight week competition. Um, obviously, you know you can't be I, I guess a, a full time professional basketball player fifty two weeks of the year with an eight week competition. How does how does that sort of look? Uh, and and what are the I guess the supports there for those players that want to be pros and play for the eight weeks? Uh, what do they do the rest of the year? I mean, how is basketball New Zealand looking at that? So the the, the good thing about the league um, that uh, is the time of the year that it's run. The only other professional competition that's run at that time of the year is the WNBA. Um, so if our players aren't playing in the WNBA, they have the opportunity to play in New Zealand without uh, risking putting at risk uh, the, the opportunity for their greater income, which is playing in the uh, traditional basketball season, that sort of October till May uh, time frame, in either Europe um, or back in college uh, in, the, in the States and in the Australian League. So the majority of our tour fans right now are playing professionally in the Australian League. This gives them the chance to now come home and spend eight weeks playing a high-level competition to prepare them for the international season. So that's where we see this as a real um, solid building block um, to just round out that um, that, that 12 months of, of um, being a full-time professional. We've got five teams to start with, um, and, and they're going to be regionally based rather than city-based. So we've got Northern, uh, we've got Mid-North, uh, we've got Central, we've got Mainland, and then we've got Southern. Um in terms of, I mean, basketball New Zealand. When you, when you sit down and, and do these things, you obviously your future plan. In terms of a future plan, how many teams do you see, sort of maybe in five, ten years, being part of this competition? Uh, you're absolutely right, and we, we wanted to start off um, being ambitious, but not uh, uh, not unrealistic, mm. uh, and we've provided that as a baseline to, to, to grow from. So um, certainly the 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 top northern part of the North Island could house two teams easily. Um, and when we get, went through the process, we had a lot of very, very strong um, ownership bids from um, from a variety of different regions and landed on the five that we did, which um, coincidentally had a great geographical spread that was important. 
um, but the opportunity for, for growth is, is absolutely there. Um, and in you know, five years' time, we'd, we'd be aspirational to have the team in the league at least at, at eight, if not ten. Yeah, that would be fantastic if we could get it to there because, I mean, you know, we just look at, I've already mentioned, 64 playing over in the, mm. the college system plus the players that are still here, plus the players that are playing in Europe yeah, and, and, the, and the developing players that are still coming through uh, the system. Uh, in terms of where you think that level is going to be, uh, I mean, how how much higher do you think than, the say, the the... Uh, women's NBL that we have seen previously the last couple of years pre-COVID, that versus where we're going to be sitting when we we get this competition kicking off? Uh, Yeah, and and it's no disrespect to the the league that has um, provided that opportunity. And and look, I played in it (laughs) Uh, 20-odd plus years ago. Um, But it's night and day uh, because of the level of professionalism that we're able to attract the Tall Ferns players home to play and, um, and, and have them as regular um, throughout the whole league, um, so from start to finish. Um, the ability to pay and attract um, top um, international talent to come in and fill those foreign roster spots. Um, so, and, and the level of um, coaching and support that and professionalism that's being wrapped around um, the teams, the level is, is going to be vastly different from what we've seen um, from the the, the, the the WNBL in previous years, um, just because of that ability for us to attract and keep um, and grow those roster spots. So, um, no, it is it is it is really exciting. And as I say, you know, the the, the chance for the um, the league to to grow and um, to continue to attract. We won't get all our tool fans back this year because they did have commitments um, with the short runway between league announcing and and launching, but. We're hopeful, um, you know, the following year and, and certainly as we lead into our aspirations to um, qualify for a 2024 Paris Olympics, uh, that we'd have everyone home next year. Yeah, which would be fantastic. In terms of our squad size, how many uh, players can, can each team carry? Uh, that's 12. So we've got 12 on the roster. Okay. And how many spots are open for non-New Zealanders? Three. Three. Okay, so we got uh, nine, nine fives. Help me here. What are we talking there? 45, <laughs> 45 pro spots for Kiwis, which is uh, you know a, a heck of a lot more than than we did have. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and as we've seen, you know, the, the where we compete on the world stage um, currently is probably beyond you know expectation. And the 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 real. Um, opportunity around bringing our, our tall firms home and playing in this competition is that they'll be playing together and against each other for, for eight weeks and then the, the intention is that they would go straight into a tall firm series, um, international series held here at home in New Zealand that Sky Sport have also um, committed to, to, to supporting and, and broadcasting. It's fantastic. I mean, the other thing that maybe sometimes when we get excited about comp- new competitions like this that sometimes doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think, is a pathway for female coaches as well. Um, obviously, we've got you know five teams here, so we're going to need five head coaches with assistants and things as well. Has Basketball New Zealand put anything in place that says, hey, you know, um, if there's not a female head coach available uh, that's, that's got the right qualifications to lead a team, we at least want to have uh, one or two assistants part of the back teams, uh, backroom staff that are females and, and look to develop those female coaches and give those female coaches a pathway? Yeah, you're, you're bang on. And, and that was all part of the um, the franchise bid process was, uh, what you know, along, along by the ownership structure, um, you know, what's your um, your game plan? 
but also what's your development plan for women and, and women in, in, in leadership roles, including the coaches. So I think it was uh, without fail, five of the teams would have gone after the best female talent in that region. Um, the, the Wellington Central, the Tokomanawa Queens team, had former tall ferns and double Olympian and, and teammate and mate of mine, um, Tanya Tupu, who's, who's been coaching at the regional level here in Wellington. This is an amazing step up for her. Um, Jody Cameron will be coaching the Northern franchise. Mel, um, Mel Bennett coaching the, um, the, the FI. Uh, so it's, it's all that emerging, uh, female talent that now is getting a chance to, to, to lead on, on the, on the court, which is really exciting. That is fantastic. Now, the, the one thing, you know, you mentioned there, uh, the Toko Moana team, uh, uh, sorry, the Toko Manawa team, uh, Puaki is mainland, uh, Huiho is southern, uh, we've got FI in the, in the mid north as well. Northern, the name process is ongoing. How far off are we from getting a name and, um, and, and, and where are you steering towards? Uh, we're, we're not far off getting a name. The, the Northern uh, Ownership Group have gone through a really, really thorough process. Um, you know, when we started, as a, from a board perspective, when we um, when we were looking at initiating the league and the opportunity to to, to really tell a, a strong um, Te Ao Māori um, bicultural uh, opportunity through through both um, visually in, in the logo designs and in the names of the team, um, it comes with you know making sure that we go through that process. Uh, really carefully and considered and authentically and we had the, the amazing support of Buffalo New Zealand's Tomatoa Dr. Parai, uh, Taku Parai from um, uh, Nasi Toa and, um, and he's supported us along the way but all the, the teams in their own regions have also engaged with local iwi to, um, to support their, um, their ambitions to, to, to be uh, bicultural from the outset. Um, with with the name, so the northern team are just going through that process, and um, we're we're hopeful that it will be um, locked and loaded, and we'll be able to they'll be able to announce it very soon. Yeah, and I, I mean, that is one thing that I do love that I didn't mention at the top there that that uh, toihi uh, does mean in uh, te reo means to soar, you know, to fly, which for me just uh, you know, and I think a lot of basketball fans will bring to mind the uh, <laughs> the Air Jordan picture, of course, because that you know that, that, that's what that looks like. Your old mate Mike. Um, so uh, I, I've had a look at the press release. I don't see a logo on there yet. When are we going to get a logo? Oh no! It should be there. So, uh, so, so check your socials. Um, the the Tauihi Basketball Aotearoa League uh, logo is uh, is live and out there. Cool. We'll definitely have to look it up. We'll definitely have to look it up. Hey, uh, Megan, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. It's uh, really exciting times for women's sport in New Zealand and, and now particularly basketball. We look forward to this going strength to strength and seeing our best players and some of the best players from around the world uh, competing here uh, in the game that you love. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it and uh, can't wait to, to get on court and uh, and show the fans what uh, women's basketball can do. Hey, hang on a minute. Get on court? Is there a comeback in the offing? Have you, have you held that <laughs> oh, back no. until now? <laughs> yeah, I'll be on the court um, sideline watching very closely. Stella <laughs> <laughs> just um, just um, uh, challenged me to a game of one-on-one and then I showed her my, my running skills, which weren't. No, nothing to be uh, <laughs> excited about these days. Uh, fantastic, Megan. That's great. I did. I did think when I saw two two sore. I was like, two sore is how I feel after watching about half a game. But uh... <laughs> yeah, not so much soaring anymore as um, barely getting off the ground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good stuff, Megan. Go well and uh, have a great day. And look forward to this competition tipping off. Thank you so much. Thanks for your support.
There you go, that is a Megan Compain, former tall fern, of course, uh, competed in the WNBA, is uh, the only New Zealand woman so far to have done so, and member of Board New Zealand as well, talking about the uh, new competition uh, that uh, has been announced today by Basketball New Zealand, the GJ Gardner Tauihi uh, Basketball Competition for Women in New Zealand, Aotearoa, five teams. And uh, they're going to be regionally based. Looking forward to that kicking off. Uh, can you get your thoughts on that? And uh, you know the, the the steps forward that are Basketball New Zealand are making with uh, the likes of GJ Gardner and, and Sky and uh, equal pay for female athletes uh, for, to play basketball here at a national league level in New Zealand. Our temper bed post text machine is double eight double three. Temper and bed post like Noah. There might be other things that you want to comment on. I know uh, Breakfast Boys, uh, Baz and Izzy for breakfast, they, they had a lot going on about the America's Cup. Where are you on the America's Cup? Do you care anymore? Should they still be called Team New Zealand? Or should they just be, you know, just call it Emirates Emirates Yachting and be done with it um, because it's really just a, a corporate paymaster now, isn't it? And there's nothing to do. Well, well, they'll beat the patriotic drum and try and get New Zealanders to buy red socks and all that sort of palaver. It really has nothing to do with New Zealand. It's all to do with the greenback. Uh, keen to get your thoughts on that. The Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. It is 9.28 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy as he is on World Cup duty. A reminder that that game between Australia and the West Indies, the first semi-final from the Cricket World Cup, gets underway at the Basin Reserve at 11 o'clock today. We'll keep you updated with uh, scores, etc. throughout the day on that one. Uh, the text line is open the temper bedpost text machine, temper and bedpost like no other, Double eight double three, double eight double three. the America's Cup. Where are you on this? Uh, Uh, Given the news that uh, Team New Zealand, and inverted commas, uh, will not defend the America's Cup in New Zealand, they're going to do it in Spain, uh, in Barcelona, so it's going to be Team Manuel, uh, by the sounds of it, rather than Team New Zealand. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Should it still be Team New Zealand? Do they need to change the name? Because has it got anything to do with New Zealand anymore? It's really just a corporate entity, isn't it? Uh, that's what. That's how I feel about it. But can you get your thoughts, double eight, double three, on this? Uh, John has texted through. Uh, the crew is a New Zealand crew. The boat is built in New Zealand. Why would it not have a New Zealand flag and be called Team New Zealand? Uh, the fact that having a regatta in Barcelona is simply financial, which uh, to win, you have to have the financial backing. Come on, let's get behind the New Zealand crew, skipped by Peter Burley. Um, yeah, well, thanks for your text, John. I've got to say, I do disagree with you because, I mean, the, the whole point of winning the America's Cup is that you get to host the thing. I mean, outside of, you know, a pretty ugly and uh, unusable gravy jug, what else does New Zealand get out of it now that we're not hosting it? I mean, there is no financial payoff, is there, to hosting uh, the America's Cup in New Zealand? Um, And if you're going to be the team that, you know, uh, is supposedly representing New Zealand, why wouldn't you defend it here? It doesn't make any sense to me. And, I mean, if, if that's the case, if you go, look, financially, doesn't make sense for us to do it in New Zealand, that's fine. Take it to Spain or wherever else you you want to go and, and defend this thing. But don't call yourselves Team New Zealand because as far as I'm concerned, you're not a New Zealand team. 
You're just a corporate entity who has something that has become uh, an even more corporatised sporting uh, trophy. It is half past nine here on SENZ. Keep those texts coming through. Uh, the Temper Bed Post text machine is double eight double three. The latest in news and sport shortly. And after that, Michael Rippon from the Dutch cricket team. Scored 67 and bowled two for 32 last night. We're going to catch up with him uh, and talk about the experience of playing the Black Caps in Mount Maunganui. It is 28 away from 10 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Of course, uh, no Smithy. He is in Wellington for the semi-final of the Cricket World Cup between Australia and the Windies. And I've been saying, uh, you know, hey, look, it's going to get underway at 11 and we'll keep you up to date, etc. I have uh, just uh, had a text come through from Richie. Thanks for your text, Richie, on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Uh, to say the World Cup semi won't be starting at 11. Wellington is wet this morning and there is no wind. And I am just looking at the forecast for Wellington. Uh, it should be finding up this afternoon, but it's low crowd, cloud and drizzle this morning. Cloud breaking up for a while this afternoon and southerly. So it looks like we might get a reduced overs match. Uh, I know that's too early to say, given it's not 11 o'clock yet. But given uh, what Richie has said, there is uh, it's wet. Uh, the drizzle sat in and there is no wind. Who knows when that might clear? So we'll keep you up to date with uh, uh, the weather reports out of Wellington as well. It was uh, looking pretty good, though, at the Bay Oval in Mount Maunganui last night as the uh, Netherlands got their tour of New Zealand underway uh, properly with the game against the Black Caps and ODI against the Black Caps. And joining us from the Dutch team is Michael Rippon. G'day, Michael. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. You must be feeling pretty good about life after that first game, mate. 67 with the bat, 2 for 32 with the ball. This, this stuff's easy, this international cricket. Test champions or not? <laughs> nah, yeah, from a personal point of view, pretty happy. Um, you know, Obviously, from a team point of view, we've got a few areas that we need to brush up on. But yeah, pretty pretty happy with my own performance. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can yeah take the game a little bit deeper and show a bit more fight in the next couple of games in Hamilton. Yeah, what was the uh, what was the thought on you know when you won the toss on on deciding to bat first and set New Zealand a total given that in the past the Black Caps have sort of favoured chasing anyway. Yeah, um, probably just the statistics. Um, I think in the past having played at Mount Maunganui, the Jews not really a big factor there so we thought um, the ball might grip and hold and spin a little bit more in in the evening so that was probably the reasoning. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't get enough runs. Um, first up, 200 was probably 50 or 60 light, at least. I reckon 250 or 260 was passed. So, yeah, that was probably the undoing in the end. Yeah, how it, uh, I mean, the the team, the the, the Dutch team is uh, obviously, you know, there's not a lot of I, I would say Dutch Dutch players, right? There's a lot of guys who have got Dutch heritage, like yourself, that are that are playing for it. How, how's how's the how is it culturally within the camp uh, in terms of you know got so many guys from different backgrounds? Yeah, um, yeah. I suppose it, it presents its own challenges in saying that we've all um, had domestic seasons in, in Holland. So, you know, we've done all the training camps and we've spent a lot of time together as a group. So culturally, it's, it's all good. Um, we're obviously missing a few of the guys playing the trade in, in, on the county circuit. Mm. Um, but in saying that, you know, we've got a lot of young Dutch guns coming through. So it's a great opportunity and a great platform for them to showcase their skills. Yeah, I mean, how many players do you think you're missing out of, you know, sort of the 11 that we saw last night? Uh, how many players wouldn't have played last night if, the, if if everyone was available, shall we say? Yeah, I'd probably say five or six. 
Oh, okay. All right. So, you know, I mean, we talk, you know, from a New Zealand point of view, we look at it and say, look at the players that we don't have here because they're at the IPL. But, you know, effectively, uh, the Dutch team are in much the same same sort of situation. Yeah, so in essence, it's a leavening uh, playing field, isn't it? So, um, yeah, it's a pity. But, um, yeah, like I said, it's a great opportunity for the guys to, you know, come up here and get their first couple of international games under their belt. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, obviously a few guys that you know running around in the Black Caps, given you plied your trade at Otago for for a while. How was it getting out there in the Orange and, and, and playing them uh, in, in anger in a, in a full international? Yeah, it was cool. Um, you know, in a few of, of some other uh, interviews that I've done, you know, at the bar, obviously they will know what, what I'm going to bring to the table. But on the flip side, you know, I also have a good understanding of how they're going to try and play me and what plans they're going to bring. So, yeah, to be honest, it was quite a surreal experience, you know, like trying to soak it up as well. You know, you're playing a one-day international against the best white ball team in the world. So, yeah, it was a hell of an experience and, um, yeah, looking forward to the next couple of games. Yeah, I mean, yourself and Logan obviously know the, know the uh, conditions and the teams here uh, pretty well. How, how much planning were you doing with the coaching te- team uh, and sort of, you know, going through player profiles, etc. in the lead-up to the series? Yeah, it's a pretty standard preparation, to be honest. You know, we just sit down um, in bowling groups and batting groups and, yeah, do, do, do all the scouting and come up with plans and all that. So, um, you know, you can do as much scouting as you want, but at the end of the day, you know, you also want a taste of the real thing. So I think it's a good thing now that the batters have had a chance at, you know, facing some of the black cap bowlers um, and same for the bowlers bowling to a few of their top order batters. So, um, yeah, you can't beat that sort of practice or training, the real life simulation. So... Hopefully that can stand up in better stead um, in, in the upcoming fixtures. You've got a, a couple of days to prep uh, for a day-nighter in Hamilton, of course, which is on Saturday, and then another one on, on Monday. Uh, what difference do you see in playing at Seddon Park versus Bay Oval? Oh, look, the dimension's obviously a little bit different. Hamilton's a little bit smaller straight. Um, I'm not quite sure what the wicket's going to be like. Generally, it might take a little bit of turn. Um, Dew might be a factor. Um, yeah, so like I said, we'll, we'll do our preparation there and have a look at all the, you know, past scores and, and um, yeah, try and come up with our best combo for a squad that we feel will be best suited for those conditions. And in terms of um, the, the second game, of course, now that everybody's had a, had a taste at this level, uh, do, what do you expect from, from game two? Because it, it felt like a little bit to start with, maybe there were some jitters, maybe some nerves, uh, maybe getting used to you know, bowlers of, of, of that level. Do you think your, your, your top order will be better, uh, better prepared now for uh, game two? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you probably consider that a bit of a blow-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there'd be a few nerves there. Um, you know, the preparation, the Dutch boys have been here for a month or so. Um, you know, they had training camps up in Lincoln, followed by the T20I in Napier. Um, but there was a lot of rain around. So, you know, the bowlers haven't had much time on foot, same as the batters. So, yeah, I think it's quite cool to get this first game out of the way and, you know, realise it's just another game of bat and ball. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think that the batters and bowlers will be going into the next game with a bit more confidence. And that, that's got to be good. From your point of view, I mean, you've been on both sides of this, haven't you? I mean, you've, you've played in a New Zealand A team against, I think, the Windies, and, and now you're on the other side of it where you've played a New Zealand A team uh, preparing for a tour with another team. Yeah, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a bit of a real experience. But, you know, in terms of me focusing, it's just another game of cricket and, you know, trying to put my best foot forward. In terms of Dutch cricket at the moment, where where do the Netherlands sit? I mean, I know we've got a T20 World Cup in Australia uh, at the end of this year. Um, 
and, and of course the Dutch did compete uh, over at, at the last one at the end of last year as well. So I mean, you know, in terms of development, how many? Uh, where, where is Dutch cricket at the moment, and how many of the players that we're likely to see, say at the at the T Twenty World Cup? are going to be, you know, Dutch born and bred versus, you know, guys like yourself out of South Africa or New Zealand or somewhere else? Yeah, well, I think the cool thing is um, is we've got a pretty packed summer coming up. We've um, got a one-day series against uh, West Indies, Pakistan and England, followed by a T20R series against New Zealand again. Um, so obviously that'll run through June, July, August. So that runs through the county season. So I don't think the county guys will be available. So yeah, I think you'll see a pretty similar squad. Um, in terms of the T20 World Cup, we still have to go to the qualifiers, which are in Zimbabwe in August. Uh, so we have to qualify first, then we go to the T20 World Cup, but then we still have to do that prelim stage. So there's a bit of a way to go, but like I said, there's a lot of cricket and great opportunity for for these young Dutch guns to to stamp their mark. And in terms of uh, Zimbabwe and, and qualifying for that T20 World Cup, who who's the big opposition for you? Obviously, uh, the hosts. Oh, to be honest, I'm not actually entirely sure of uh, the pools at the moment. But uh, yeah, I'd imagine Zimbabwe would be there and potentially Bangladesh. I'm not quite sure of the T20 rankings, but it would be the bottom two of the full member nations. Yeah, and in terms of, I mean, I mentioned it before, you played for a New Zealand A team. Uh, you are now part of this Dutch setup as well. Where do you see your international future lying? I mean, are you fully committed to, to Holland now, uh, come hell or high water, as it were? Yeah, well, I. Yeah, the, the cool thing is um, the Netherlands is obviously an associate country. So, you know, I've made it pretty clear that my ambition is to play for New Zealand one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and Holland, you know, it's a good platform for me to showcase my skills and, you know, put some, hopefully some good performances in that can aid in achieving that goal. Um, but, but in saying that, you know, Holland, like I just said, we've got a couple of very important fixtures coming up and yeah, I want to do my best to contribute towards us succeeding. Yeah, I mean, you're doing that, mate. It was uh, a great effort last night uh, with the bat. You're 67 off off 97. I guess a big part of your job when you came in um, was just steadying the ship, right? Making sure you batted as many overs as as you could and and, and build a score. Yeah, it was a it was a bit of a tough one because I'm not too entirely sure what the score was. Maybe 40, 45 or five or something. So in my mind, I was thinking 260, 270 is probably par, but in achieving that total, we would have had to have taken some pretty high-risk options um, and then potentially losing one or two more wickets and we could have been blown out for 100. So mm. uh, the communication that we had that I was sending back to the dressing room was I think we should aim for 220. And, yeah, it's under par, but, um, you know, if we scrap in the field and we bowl well, you, you just never know. So that was the thinking behind the total, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously New Zealand fans know Max O'Dowd, they know yourself, they know Logan Van Beek because of, of the New Zealand connection, but in terms of guys that you've been training with and, and playing with within the Dutch setup, who are who are some maybe some of the young players coming through that we should keep an eye on for the next two uh, ODIs? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, uh, I was very, very impressed with Vikram Singh. Um, well, yeah, uh, Vikram Singh and, and Buster Leder will probably be the two young stars or the two bright prospects of, of Dutch cricket. Even watching watching them yesterday, you know, with uh, Tickner bowling, yeah, speed excess of 140, which is, you know, the Dutch cricketers playing in Holland, you you don't face a, those sort of speeds. You know, you play on matting, uh, coconut matting. Um, so it's, a, it's a different sort of cricket. So, yeah, watching them play yesterday was it was very exciting. You know, they looked like they had lots of time. They got into great positions. They're timing the ball well, and they both start with, uh, yeah, it was pretty. It just wasn't great skill execution, but. Um, 
yeah, the signs are there that they've got a lot of potential. Yeah, indeed. I mean, that Dutch side, I think, you know, particularly as you said, you know, at 45 for 5, I think a lot of us were kind of going, okay, uh, this could be over real soon. So uh, the fight shown in to get to get, get to 200 uh, was a great effort uh, by, uh, you know, by yourself and, and the team as well. And uh, look forward to the next couple of ODIs, mate, and, and, and seeing a real contest. So uh, thanks for your time this morning, Michael. Go well. All the best to the team and uh, look forward to Saturday. No worries. Thanks for having me. Uh, anytime, Michael Rip on there with us. Uh, of course, plays for the Otago Volts and part of the Dutch team that are touring at New Zealand at the moment, playing these ODIs. Have <laughs> had a texted. Of course, Richie texted earlier saying the World Cup semi won't be starting at eleven because Wellington is wet and there is no wind. Uh, we've had a follow up text to that to ask. Could you ask Richie, who texted in about the cricket, if he's wearing white, off white, or bone, or is it maybe the ivory today? Uh, so, Richie, if you can uh, uh, let us know what's happening there. I don't think it's Benno. But it might be the 12th man. Who knows? Uh, it is 16 away from 10 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11 away from 10 here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in the hot seat for Smithy, who's on World Cup duty. Of course, the semi-final between Australia and the Windies at the Basin Reserve today uh, will get underway at some point. Uh, we have had, of course, Richie and Wellington update us that uh, won't be starting at 11 because it is very wet and there is no wind in Wellington. Somebody asked if Richie was wearing the bone, the ivory, the off-white or the white today. Uh, he's replied he's wearing olive drab. Apparently, uh, so there you go. I hope that uh, puts that to ease. It means obviously he's not on camera today, Richie, and uh, hence he is just in the olive drab. And now we have had a uh, call through somebody wanting to uh, get an update on the World Cup qualifiers. A whole bunch of games going on this morning uh, to decide the teams that will be going through to Qatar 2022. And uh, the two games out of Europe that we had this morning. Uh, Poland have beaten Sweden by two goals to nil. So the Poles are going, the Swedes are done. And Portugal, who were playing North Macedonia, uh, North Macedonians upset, of course, Italy and kept the Italians uh, out of the World Cup. Uh, it was going to be an Italy-Portugal showdown. That's what everybody thought. But no, North Macedonia upset that party. Uh, and uh, But they couldn't upset it any further. They've lost 2-0 to the Portuguese. Two goals to Bruno Fernandes of Manchester United has put Portugal through to the World Cup. So that's the European qualifying for you. Now, later today, there is one round left of the Comnibol, which is South American qualifying. And there are three teams that can, well, there are four teams that have already qualified. The fifth team gets to play off against the a fifth place team out of Asia, which could be Australia. Uh, so Australia have to play the United Arab Emirates to decide who uh, is going to be playing the fifth team out of South America. That fifth team out of South America could be Peru. They are in the box seat at the moment. They are a point ahead of Colombia. Peru play Paraguay today. Paraguay can't make it. Uh, Colombia are away at Venezuela. Venezuela also can't make it. And uh, the other team that can still make it is Chile, uh, and they are at home to Uruguay, who have already um, made the uh, World Cup. So all three teams playing teams that don't have anything really to play for. As it stands, Peru are a point ahead. So if they win, they're through. If they draw uh, or lose and Colombia win, then Colombia will go through. Uh, and if neither Peru or Colombia win uh, and Chile do, then Chile can still go through as well uh, for that playoff against the fifth-placed Asian team, which will be either Australia or the United Arab Emirates. And it's also uh, African qualifying at the moment. Uh, man, the, it's tough to get to the World Cup out of Africa. Some very good teams there, and only five make it. So at the moment, 
uh, we can say that Egypt aren't going to be there. So no Mo Salah at the World Cup. Uh, they have lost 3-1 to Senegal on penalties after that being tied one all uh, on aggregate. Uh, Ghana have knocked out Nigeria on away goal, so the Ghanaians will be there, but there'll be no Nigeria at this World Cup. And elsewhere, uh, currently Algeria-Cameroon is tied one all with about half an hour to go. Uh, Morocco lead uh, Democratic Republic of Congo 2-0 today and 3-1 on aggregate, so it looks like the Moroccans will make it. And then Tunisia and Mali are nil all, but uh, 1-0 to Tunisia on aggregate at the moment. So they will probably uh, make it through, you'd have to say, as well. So that's where the World Cup qualifying is for you at this stage. Coming up after 10 o'clock, speaking of football, we are going to talk to Grace Jale of, uh, of the Football Ferns and the Wellington Phoenix women's team. Uh, we'll do that after 10. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a couple of minutes away from 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Actually, make sure you follow at SENZ underscore radio on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and send us a DM with the words The Race for the chance to win a half percent share of Self Assured. If Self Assured wins the race at Cambridge Raceway on April 14, one lucky winner will walk away with a half percent of the winnings from the race. They are likely to be around two grand. Now, the Temper Bedpost text machine is open. Double eight double three is the number. Keen to get your thoughts on the America's Cup not being Defended by Team New Zealand in New Zealand. If they're not defending it in New Zealand, what benefit does New Zealand get out of this? Really, is there any? Um, and should they still be called Team New Zealand if they're not going to be defending it in New Zealand? I want to know because the races will be like in the middle of the night with the mm. time difference there in Spain. Uh, people that are into the America's Cup and do want to support Emirates Team New Zealand, are they going to get up in the middle of the night to watch it? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I wouldn't watch it if it was in the middle of the day, but that, that's that's me. I'm just not a fan. Uh, but, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, I do get up at silly o'clock to watch football from Europe, so it's uh, it, it's much the same. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that get on the bandwagon when it happens and they get caught up in the thing, but given that the thing's not happening here, will there be the same uptake and will people care? I, I already don't, but I suspect there'll be a lot more people that won't come the time that it happens. Keen to get your thoughts on that. Double eight, double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. In the next hour, the Dilmar Expertise Panel with Greg Pearson and Andrew Gordy and Grace Jale out of the Football Ferns. Uh, do you still support the team? Did the, does the team is the team a New Zealand team, or is it just a corporate entity? What are your takes on it? Keen to hear from you on the Temper Bedpost text machine double eight double three. That is a double eight double three. Uh, also coming up later on this hour, Louis Herman Watt's going to join us for a love racing update. We'll hear from the TAB as well. And given the TAB are in the uh, capital, we might even be able to get a weather update from the tab and uh, see what's happening at the Basin Reserve. Uh, time now, though, uh, to talk football. Yesterday, the Football Ferns named their team for a two-match series next month against the Matildas, the Australian women's team, over in Australia, and uh, Grace Jale, uh, who's been part of the Wellington Phoenix women's team this season, has had a recall after four years in the international wilderness. I'm not sure why it's wilderness, but it always is the international wilderness. And uh, Grace joins us uh, now out of Melbourne. Morning, Grace. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks uh, for getting up for us, mate. Now, of course, uh, you're back in a football ferns environment too. Uh, you had, I think, four games back in 2018. Uh, given you're only 22 now, uh, I mean, that's uh, you, you got your start young, but you've you've had to wait to get back in. Uh, how's that wait been for you? And and how stoked were you to get the call? 
It was a tough wait and a very long wait at that. Lots of injuries um, riddled in there, which was not fun. Um, but, I mean, I'm super happy the wait is finally over and getting the call was amazing. I mean, Yidka, the head coach, was always in the background during the Phoenix season and encouraging me, which was great. So I think it's a nice little reward I've gotten. Yeah. So, I mean, how um, much in contact were you with Yitka since she, she came in um, through, say, like, you know, signing with the Phoenix in that Phoenix season? Um, well, she was involved with a lot of players in, in the squad as well because, obviously, a lot of us were striving for the Ferns. I wouldn't say definitely not on, on the weekly, but it mm-hmm. would be more like a check-in and it's good that she's always there if I do have questions to ask because she wants me to, you know, push further look for other pro contracts off season from the Phoenix. So uh, it was relevantly, you know, on the monthly, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool, cool. Well, that's, that's great that you're having that sort of, you know, uh, input from her because obviously she's telling you what she wants to see for you to be back in, in that Ferns jersey. What were some of the things that she wanted you to work on for you to be back where you are now? Uh, definitely consistency, um, which is which I totally agree with. And consistency is hard when injuries come and obviously it's up and down with that so definitely consistency um, she likes how I can score goals and she knows that I can smack them in all training but she said like I want to see them in the games and I was like honestly I'm trying I'll get there just just you wait so yeah I think a bit of that and just using my um athleticism I guess I'm tall and Somewhat strong, so I think she just wanted me to be more of a bit of a mongrel, I think. Yeah, just to throw throw yourself around, use your physicality a bit. I I guess, you know, one of the things that this um, two-game series against Matildas and not even maybe so much the games, but just the trainings, being able to train with someone like Hannah Wilkinson, who's made a career out of doing that, will be good for you as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've obviously looked up to these players all this time and as I was striving to be in the team and um, I think the training is going to be definitely a bit of a smack in the face. I mean, I've been off season since my last game was 6th of March, so I haven't been in a, you know, that much of a high quality training environment, so it's going to be definitely something. Yeah, definitely <laughs> something. Um, you might be breathing out your backside for the first couple of days of camp, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking um, exercise-induced asthma is going to be coming along, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel that. I feel that, mate. Um, wh- what have you been doing since the Phoenix season finished? Well, I stayed in Sydney for a little bit, then came to Melbourne here with my um, partner. She plays at a local club here in Melbourne, Heidelberg. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing... Uh, not much. <laughs> we were uh, we we're encouraged to have time off, and obviously, a season like that and away from home is really hard on um, you know you mentally and physically. So I think it's a rest that I actually I needed to take. Obviously, I was probably near peak fitness right after the season, so it was hard to just relax and just sit down and lie down and you know, recover properly, but I'm happy I've done that, but I'm, I will see if I regret it. 
with how much rest I've had. Yeah, we will see. We will see. Now, uh, of course, you've had your first full pro season with the Phoenix as well, and I know things were, you know, uh, I, I, I assume that next season will be smoother because it won't be so rushed and, you know, there'll be a bit more time and you'll have a bit, a bit of pre-season. But uh, from your point of view, how was your first full season as a, as a pro? It was rough. It was a rough one, if I'm honest. And it's 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 been good having time off as well, just to look back and you know think over everything because it was it was pretty tough. So, like you said, it was quite rushed, and then getting pulled out of what a nine week lockdown, and then straight into training um in Wellington with a bunch of well, they were pretty much strangers to me. Obviously, we we're strangers to each other, but they're very young and. I mean, I didn't really have that many good friends on the team at the time, so it was it was tough. And then moving over to Wollongong, a new environment, a new country, not much of a preseason. I actually had an ankle injury because um, I did have some reconstructive <laughs> ankle surgery on my right ankle, and I had only just gotten back, I'd say, in like July. So I, I didn't have much time, and then I had to – the, pretty much the whole preseason, having one uh, full training before the first game. I had a quarter zone shot, so that was a terrible start to the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, again, riddled with injury. But, I mean, obviously it was something that I had to learn to, you know, take control and see what I was doing wrong. So it was huge, just huge on learning. And it was very, very different environment that we were set in. And obviously the quality of football is way, way above. And um, it was challenging, but I'm I'm happy that it kind of wasn't perfect, you know, because obviously the first season is not going to be perfect and I needed to do a lot of learning. So I'm just really excited for the next season, really. Having it in Wellington as well would be awesome. Hopefully having a proper preseason would be awesome too. Um, yeah, so I'm just I'm excited for the next one. Yeah, I mean, your career, you know, I mean, you, you obviously played a lot uh, in, in the club scene in Auckland, then you got the, your opportunity at Wake Forest and scholarship and things over there. Um, and then obviously that's gone on to where we are now with, with, with the Phoenix. How different a player are you from a year ago right now, do you think? A year ago? Uh, what was I doing a year ago? That's a tough one. Um, honestly, I would say I'm very very different my playing style I feel like has been pretty much the same throughout the years um different would probably be just my mentality going in towards trainings and games just because I know how horrible it is to be injured and you know sitting out and watching so I think that it's more of a do or die kind of mentality and nothing to lose only everything to gain. So I think my playing style is the same. I think I'm better at scoring goals now. I don't get too, too in my head when it comes to finishing, which is nice. <laughs> um, but other than that, you know, I think it's, I think it's the same. Yeah. I mean, is that, in terms of your finishing, you talked about in-game finishing versus in-training finishing are two different things, different pressures, obviously, yeah. everything. Um, how, did, how did you improve on that this season with Gemma and Natalie? Well, I, I did start off the season um, really, really nervous coming into games and it was, you know, it was a lot and um, mindset and the kind of 
pre-match was not the best and obviously that's not good prep. So working a lot on my mindset coming into games and I would always think, you know, oh, what if I missed? <laughs> and how sad I'd be if I missed instead of just being like, oh my God, I could score. I could, you know, be a part of history and just kind of get back to ground because it was it was getting all too much. And then I realized, you know, like we're playing, we're competing. I'm here to, you know, strap my stuff or whatever. I've got points to prove and it kind of just had to be a kind of process of just being like, chillax. If you do this in training, why can't you do it in the game? It's it shouldn't be that different, even though it is, obviously. But um yeah, I just had to change my mindset, I think. Yeah, and that's not never never an easy thing. It sounds to me from the outside looking in and from what you're saying that you're probably mentally tougher and a bit more mentally resilient than you were, say, before the season with the Phoenix. Yeah, I'd agree on that, definitely, yeah. And in terms of your positional play as well, I mean, we saw you you play as the number nine, like in the Hannah Wilkinson role, if you like, you know, leading the line. But we also saw Chloe not play sort of as a as a false nine and that, and then you you sort of playing a little bit wider and overlapping. Uh, do you have a preference? And, you know, obviously looking at the way the Ferns play, uh, how, how do you see yourself fitting in there? Um, yeah, I did get chucked around a little bit. Um See, I get this question a lot because I do do play a lot of different positions. I do love – see, I started as a six, holding mid. I love that, being in control of the game, you know. I love a good long ball as well. But um, I like the number 10 role just because, you know, you have the license to go forward, um, but also – being the kind of grit of the midfield and battle in there, which I enjoy, and um, my size is is a you know upper hand, but I think I do like being the nine. Obviously, I'm going to have to battle with Hannah Wilkinson for that spot and everyone else on the team. But um, I'll I'll have to see what Yedka thinks as well, because honestly, I'd be happy to play wherever is best for the team if I can. But I'd probably probably say number nine role, yeah. Yeah, because it's quite quite different to playing as, as a six, playing as a nine, right? I mean, because playing as a six, everything's in front of you, whereas playing as a nine, yeah. a lot of the time you're looking over your shoulder or you're making runs into space and you might not get the ball. So uh, in a way, I guess that, that six, having the experience playing six, you kind of can read the game a little better maybe as a nine? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, obviously – um, every game is different and some sometimes like different games I would rather play a, a different kind of role but being in the six you know that you're obviously under pressure all the time and you need options and you need to make runs so as a nine I like how you can zip in behind like you said or also just come to feed and you know play around it a little bit but yeah I think helping it helped being a six which is good. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, you're you're living in Australia at the moment. You've been over there for quite some time now, uh, and on the international stage, you know, the Australians that it doesn't get a lot better than their Matildas team. So you got that challenge over over two games. What does that challenge represent for you, and what, and what are you most looking forward to? Oh, well, I'm just hoping I get on the pitch. I mean, the training is going to be um, hard, hard challenge as it is. So. I think it's good that um, because I did see the announcement of our team and also the Matildas that there were, you know, I think five or so of the A-League players in there. And I don't think it's 
too much of a challenge to compete with them. I mean, we've we've done that all season. I think it's huge these two games coming into the World Cup, and I definitely want to make my mark if I can get on the pitch and you know perform, or even on the training training scale of things as well. But I think that it's just oh, it's huge coming back into the firms as well. I have a lot to pr- prove, and I want to be you know making every tour, not just the old one every four years kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a challenge and I'm so excited for it. You know, the Aussies, you, you know how it is. Yes, yeah. it's always a good challenge. It's always a battle with the Aussies too, isn't it? You know, and that's yeah. the thing, you know, you'll know a few of them from, from playing them uh, week in, week out in the A-League too. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm up for the challenge, that's for sure. Indeed. Oh, good stuff, Grace. Hey, listen, thanks for giving up some of your time and getting up bright and early for us. Really appreciate it. Uh, I, I wish you all the best of luck in that uh, Football Ferns camp. And, of course, we want to see you smash the Aussie. So you go and do that for us, mate, and uh, we'd really appreciate it. Go well and, and good luck for the camp, eh? Thank you very much. I'll try my best. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. It's 10.23 here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith. And joining us today on the Dilma Expertise Panel from News Hub, Andrew Gordy. Good morning, Gordy. Morning, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Good. And, and joining us from uh, TVNZ producer, Greg Pearson. G'day, Greg. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure, mate. Our pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Uh, gentlemen, I guess the, the big news uh, overnight, uh, not exactly news, because I think we all saw it coming, but uh, Team New Zealand, and inverted commas, I'll, I'll put inverted commas around the Team New Zealand part, uh, are going to defend the America's Cup in Barcelona because, you know, such a beautiful part of New Zealand, Barcelona. Um, Andrew, uh, does, does, what, what was your take on this? And, I mean, is the America's Cup now for the casual New Zealand sporting fan an irrelevance because we don't really have a horse in the race? Yeah, well, it's, it's a difficult one to answer that. I, I can't speak for everyone, but I can only speak to me personally. And to me, this is a real line-in-the-sand moment for, again, an in inverted commas, Team New Zealand because... To me, this is a decision. While I completely understand it, um, now is the moment, I think, where I'm prepared to separate all kind of emotion and sentiment um, from the team because now this, this isn't a national team anymore. And Grant Dalton's been quite upfront about that. And, and that's, that's fine. And I think we all just have to be sort of at peace with that. But this is, you've got to forget the era of, of 95 and Red Sox and Sir Peter Blake, like that was just a different time for the sport and, and for this team where, you know, it's not done on the smell of an oily rag and number eight wire mentality or anything like that anymore. This is more akin to Formula One now. And I think the sooner we, we all accept that, we can just sort of all put our headspace or, you know, move into a different headspace when it comes to this team. And Grant Dalton, just, just reading some of the comments that he's made um, in, in various media interviews this morning, um, there were a couple of comments that I found really interesting. What, one of them was um, that he that he asked really sort of, sort of for New Zealanders to ease up on the government. You know, they did the best they could. And I, I just don't really see anyone feeling aggrieved with the government about this. I mean, 
I think New Zealanders have poured enough taxpayers' money into into Team New Zealand, and and enough is enough. Like they are a professional sporting team, and that is exactly how he describes them. It, it wasn't enough money to get a professional sporting team like this across the line. So let's all just start thinking about them like that. They are a professional sporting organisation, a purely professional entity. But they have no right now to come and ask the government for, for any money, for any taxpayer money, because they have made this decision that they are no longer a New Zealand sporting team. Greg, your take on, on what Gordy said there? Yeah, I, I think um, pretty much agree with everything Gordy says. And I've got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to hear a pretty balanced kind of take with that, because it's certainly been hot take central um, since that decision's kind of come out. Um, as a as a sailing fan um, and a fan of the America's Cup, yeah, I'm disappointed. It would have been great to, to go down to the race village and, and soak up all that atmosphere and everything. But yeah, like Gordy said, and this is something else that Dalton um, uh, said as well, is that, that yes, they potentially could have had it here, but it would have been a massive, massive um, shortfall budget-wise, and they just wouldn't have been able to compete. And at the end of the day, they're there to win. And if they're not there to win, then what's the point? And then it would have been lost off offshore definitely the next one after that with a good chance of it not coming back so yeah it's it's hard to kind of weigh up everything it, it's the america's cup is a really complex thing i've spent a lot of time covering it um and just trying to get your head around a lot of stuff and then try to explain it to people that's just a whole nother beast in itself but um yeah sure it's disappointing um but I've, it's strange but i can see the rationale behind the decision and yeah, professional sports is unfortunately the way it sort of goes sometimes. It's, it's big money. And if you haven't got enough to compete, then there is that question of why are you involved? Should then, Greg, the New Ze- the NZ be taken out of the team name? I mean, it is no longer Team New Zealand, is it? It's just Team Emirates, right? Yeah, and if, hey, look at all the other teams. Um, you won't see any names particularly prominently uh, in some of the others. Um, or if they are, it's because all those other teams have got one very rich billionaire with some very deep pockets behind it, um, and that's the the one thing that sets Team New Zealand off from from the other teams. They they have a group of of supporters behind them that do put into the budget, but nowhere near close to to what the other teams have when you consider who's behind them. Um, and as defender, they don't just have the responsibility of running their own campaign; they have to run the event. Um, and this time around, they've, they've changed the structure sl- slightly from last time. Last time, uh, Luna Rossa was in charge of the, the Prada Cup Challenger Series themselves, and Team New Zealand took care of the America's Cup event. This time, Team New Zealand said, no, we're going to take care of both. We can sort of streamline things. The difference is, last time, um, Prada put in around, they reckon around $150 million into the Prada Cup to, to get it going. The budget this time, Team New Zealand's kind of got there, is about 80 mil to cover those things. So... Not as much as last time, but that's an extra 80 mil that they're trying to find to, to run the event. And that's where that shortfall was. Um, Peter Lester was on um, breakfast this morning and just sort of saying, you know, there's a, there's a shortage of designers, of engineers out there. They've got to pay top dollar if you want the best people. That's, you know, where the money goes to is getting the right people on board so you can put the, the best boat on the water to win. So based off what Greg's just said, uh, Andrew, uh, on talking about, you know, if we don't have the best people, then it goes offshore and we lose it. Does it really make any difference given that we've effectively lost it anyway? I mean, what is in it, what's in it for New Zealand uh, other than an oversized and practical uh, gravy boat, really? <laughs> well, certainly nowhere used it on this, Ricardo, which is fair enough. 
Um, but the, the, uh, just a couple of points I want to make there. Um, in terms of removing New Zealand from the name, well, I mean, look, especially given everything that I've just said about this, well, yeah, I, I, can, I can understand that. Um, Greg, you might know more about this than me, but is there still a nationality rule which kind of essentially means that there has to be some kind of national identity attached to, to each of the teams that, that participate in this cup? And I suppose, um, you know, uh, while it is Emirates Team New Zealand at this, at this moment, it is still the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron that is essentially still behind this team. Um, you can, can you clear up those two, two points to start with? Well, if you, if you go back to the, the deed of gift, which sort of governs the entire thing, it is a friendly competition between nations. Each syndicate represents a yacht club, not a nation. They do sort of put the flags on it. So it is a, you know, Team New Zealand is a New Zealand team, not necessarily representing New Zealand. Hey, there could be multiple teams from different countries. There's no restriction on that. There is nationality attached to the, the sailors. It's actually a bit stricter this time. Um, but yeah, it's almost that little bit of a grey area that I think teams try to play up on the nationality side of things to for that nationalism, for that support, and to get the backing behind them. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of a it's a hard one to really nail down properly. Um, but it's certainly nothing specific. But yeah, it's it's a hard one. But you can see why it's, it's become such an important thing for Team New Zealand to get the country behind them. Sure, they could drop the name really easily, and I think. It's possibly only been the fact that there has been government support behind them that they have kept it in the name, that there's no reason why, like even when Emirates came on board as a, as a naming sponsor after 2003, even that was a little bit of like, ooh, don't, don't like that too much. But look at the, other, the names of some of the other teams. When you've got Ineos, you've got, um, oh, I can't even remember what the proper name is for Luna Rossa now because they've got Prada and Pirelli in the name and what order that goes in. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a, a corporate beast, the America's Cup, a long way from where uh, you know it came even from the Dennis Connor days, that's for sure. This is uh, the Dilmar Expertise Panel, Greg Pearson and Andrew Gordy with us. Dilmar, do try it. We'll be back after the latest in news and sport uh, to hit, uh, I think, some more America's Cup, but a couple of other things uh, bubbling away in New Zealand sport as well. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilmar. Do try it. This is the Dilmar Expertise Panel on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball, in for Smithers on World Cup duty. Dilmar, celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. Uh, we've got Greg Pearson from TVNZ and Andrew Gordy from News Hub with us on the panel. And uh, Gordy, just to further that on the America's Cup. Um, so let's put it out there. If, if, if um, uh, Emirates Team New Zealand win the next America's Cup over in Barcelona, what happens to the next regatta after that? And is there any chance it ever comes back to New Zealand, uh, even if Team New Zealand do retain it? Yeah, well, this, this is the point that I'm I'm really interested in now, is because some of the some of the comments again that Grant Dalton made this morning, he sort of said, you know, let's be real about the times we're living in. There's a war on. There's, there's been the devastation from COVID, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and we're we're all well aware of that. So what what he's essentially saying is like, you know, if if, if we were in sort of normal times, um, if, if I can put it like that. I think what he's indicating is, you know, maybe we would have been able to hold this regatta in New Zealand. Okay, so let's fast forward then and let's just imagine for a moment, because let's face it, you know, now they've got all the money that they need, there should be absolutely no reason why Team New Zealand can't can't uh, defend the America's Cup again. We know that they've got the sailing expertise and uh, on and off the water to be able to do that. So let's let's assume for a moment that they're going to go out and defend the America's Cup. What happens next time? And will they... Will they want to bring it back to New Zealand? And, and would that be the right thing to do? Would the ship have sailed, so to speak, in terms of 
um, New Zealanders wanting to have an America's Cup uh, back on home waters again? Or would this, in, in say, you know, let's call it six years' time, I suppose, would this event have gone to another level again where simply New Zealand would be priced out of, of ever hosting uh, an event like this again? Again, I go back to the point um, that we should maybe start thinking about uh, the America's Cup and Team New Zealand more akin to Formula One. You know, could you ever imagine New Zealand hosting a, a round of the Formula One Grand Prix season? No, because the money that's involved to secure an event like that is simply astronomical. So there's the zero chance of that ever happening. And so maybe we've actually seen in our last chance of ever hosting this again. Um, and, and again, though, it comes back to the sentiment. Would there be the sentiment both from the team itself and from New Zealanders uh, to have this, this cut race for on home waters again? I think it will be really interesting to get the measure of the, where the nation sits on that. Um, in, say, four years' time when, when this debate will be happening again. Yeah, Greg, it's an interesting point that Gordy brings up um, because, you know, t- talking to people who have been, like Logan, our producer, has been, uh, you know, was in San Francisco when the America's Cup was happening there. He said, unless you were at the specific wharf, you wouldn't know that it was going on. It seems to have mean more in New Zealand than it means anywhere else in the world. So from that point of view, a return on investment for the government, if next, if, if Team, Team New Zealand defend the trophy and then decide, well, where are we going to do the regatta next time, does the New Zealand government have enough possible return on investment from tourism, etc., to be able to give Grant Dalton the money he needs then? Or is it just, you know, it's way bigger here than it is anywhere else and no one else really cares? Yeah, and, and that San Francisco point was exactly right. I was over there for that as well. And it was a very strange thing that um, walking around the city and, yeah, there were, there were heaps of signage up in places um, and in the other parts of the city, just nothing at all. And that they have no idea had no idea what was going on and that's kind of one reason why it ended up in Bermuda the, the time after that. Um, you've got to remember as well that this last cut, um, there were times when the race village was locked down because of the pandemic. Um, if that hadn't happened, if the borders were open, I don't think there's no doubt the next cup would be in Auckland. Um, the government would have looked at the, and council as well, they obviously pumped a lot of money into infrastructure around the event. Um, they didn't get the return on their investment because the, we didn't have those big super yachts coming down and those big spending owners and, and the other tourists that it would have brought in. If that had happened, I think the government would have got a return on their investment and there wouldn't have been any issues. And, and I guess that's kind of possibly what Dolph was getting to with that comment that Gordy made about, um, you know, don't take it out on the government, is that he in the past has said, hey, we know that they can't put more into it. Um, because they've got other things to worry about pandemic-wise and, and all of that, sure. Um, the other interesting point, Gordy, that you brought up, sentiment in the America's Cup is a very fickle thing. Um, when the event's on, everyone's on board, you know, rates through the roof, all of that stuff. As soon as it finishes, give it a bit of time. And some of those, everyone's, everyone's jumping off that boat pretty quickly, that's for sure. And then it does become this, you know, we start to hear the, the vitriol about the rich man's sport and all of that, and it's very hard to support it. So, yeah, what happens when the event's on next time and everyone, is everyone getting up in the middle of the night in uh, Barcelona to, um, to, to, to watch it? I, I can remember doing that when it was in Valencia and there were quite a few people doing it. It feels like there won't be quite as many this time around. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, it's hard to know that if, they, if they've got their hands back on the cup in a couple of years' time and they say, hey, we're coming back to Auckland, um, it's... Yeah, it's, it's hard to know how people will feel about things because it is such a, um, 
peaks and troughs kind of thing, the old support for the America's Cup. Yeah, just on there, we've had a text through on our uh, Temper Beard Post text machine, double eight double three here from uh, Liam, saying, I can't see the Cup ever being here if we don't have the money now. We won't have it for the next one. And I can't see the New Zealand public backing funding for any team under Grant Dalton. Um, Greg, on that, how much, how much do you think that plays into it? I mean, is Dalton... Uh, that reviled a character by the New Zealand public that, you know, he puts people off wanting to back the team? He is a very divisive figure, um, and that's probably a, quite an understatement. But he is there to, <laughs> to win. And if people aren't... The, if he doesn't see people as being sort of on board and supporting him, then as far as he's concerned, this my view here completely, but I think that he just sort of sees them as then a hindrance and just needs to get them out of the way. So he's very driven in that regard. The thing is that that money from that, that group of supporters that they do have behind them, like I was saying, they, they don't have a, one big backer. They've kind of got a group there. They're all people that largely that Dalton's brought in. And when other people have kind of been touted as maybe taking over at Team New Zealand, they've sort of said, well, what money are you going to bring to the team? Because when if Dalton goes, all that money probably goes with him. And I think that's kind of the reality that, personally, I think that if, Grant Dalton's not there if that team loses in Barcelona and he says, hey, I'm stepping down. Yeah, there's some good deputies, the likes of Kevin Shrewbridge, but I don't know if they're necessarily going to keep that support with them, and that could be the end of Team New Zealand. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the faces of it, how that affects things, you know, I mean, once again, using the inverted commas, old uh, Judas Coots, you know, not popular with the New Zealand public uh, after the way he went. Um, obviously, Dalton the same. Yet, you know, we still talk about P- Peter Blake like he's some sort of saint, uh, Gordy. So, I mean, I guess it, a lot of it is public facing and, and who you have is the face of that. And maybe, I mean, you know, is this a lesson for Grant Dalton to go, you know what, I'm just going to be the backroom guy. I'm not going to face the media. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to put up a PR guy who everybody likes well yeah and look I, I don't I don't think it's um, putting too fine a point on it to say that this is a decision that may well define Grant Dalton's legacy um, because if if what if, if indeed what Greg has just um, sort of suggested happens that you know Grant Dalton um, goes through with this America's Cup defense and then decides to, to walk away and he then walks away with all the money that he quite right. And I think everyone acknowledges that Grant Dalton, his presence with that team attracts a lot of a lot of funding, um, and he is very he is very very important to the to the running of that team. Now, now let's have a scenario where Grant Dalton has decided on this occasion to take the the America's Cup defence to Barcelona. They defend the America's Cup there, and then he walks away, and with it walks away with all of his backing to leave the team to essentially fend for themselves and and they fall over or they're, they're not in a position to then defend the cup after that. Well, what, what does that say about Grant Dalton? I mean, you, you would say then that he has used the Team New Zealand brand and I suppose used the, team, used the New Zealand public and, and taxpayer money to, to, I suppose, run the team the way that he wants to run it and then, and then leave it for dead, essentially. Now, I know that I'm sort of jumping the gun there, but that's the, that's the sort of scenario we're talking about here. So I think Grant Dalton, if he cares about his legacy and if he cares about his own legacy and the legacy of Team New Zealand, um, his decisions um, in the wake of this particular one uh, will be absolutely crucial. Yeah, I think so. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today on the Dilmar Expertise uh, panel. I really appreciate it. Greg, go well. Enjoy the rest of your day. 
Pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, Gordy too. Thanks, mate. Uh, some uh, some good thinking points there for us, mate. To go well, and I look forward to seeing you on News Hub tonight. Thanks, Dave. Good stuff. Cheers. Uh, there we go. That has been uh, the Dilma Expertise Panel here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 12 away from 11 here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith. There is an officially a rain delay in the semi-final of the Cricket World Cup between Australia and the Windies at the Basin Reserve currently uh, showing at the moment on Sky TV as a replay of an earlier match. Uh, but yeah, not looking good for uh, uh, probably the full 50 overs, I wouldn't have thought. But we'll get some more on that for you in the next little while. I uh, have had a text through here uh, from Brad saying, Hey, Ricardo, my Manchester United fan friend, any intel on... On the manager front, would you go Ten Hag, Poch or Enrique? You'd be daft not to go Ten Hag for a total rebuild with Ranić somewhere in the office. Yeah, I agree with you. That's where I'd go, but uh, they need the structure ahead of that sorted out. That's what they need. They need to get their uh, their backroom structure sorted out at Manchester United. Now, uh, coming up soon, we're going to be talking TAB. We're going to be talking uh, Love Racing. But don't forget to Greyhounds, because you can tune in to SENZ every Sunday from 11 till 12 for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed Show, hosted by Greyhound experts Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. Uh, up next, Louis Herman Watt joins us. We're going to do some Love Racing. The Love Racing.NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Oh, amateur hour. Trying to intro something before the end. Uh, before the uh, you, you done much play. radio before me? Yeah, no, for a couple of couple of times, so not much, not much. Uh, this is uh, the Love Racing update. Uh, loveracing.nz for your uh, your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Louis Herman, what um, hardest working man in New Zealand radio? Still here after being here. What time do you get here in the morning? Four thirty. Oh yeah, a little yeah. bit earlier than that. A little bit earlier. I've started to push it out a bit. Yeah. You know, standards dropping. <laughs> well, you know, you've been obviously now that Izzy's uh, working out of the Auckland studio, and, and you got Kempi as well. You don't have to do as much heavy lifting. <laughs> no, no, no. I still do all the heavy lifting. <laughs> right. Okay. So, no, no, no. The boys are great. We're actually on fire. Um, good stuff this morning. And um, Kempi, the ultimate patriot. You know, just absolute aghast. Um, you know what the good thing for you know the racing tie-in here with the sailors yeah is sailing is the one well the America's Cup in particular is the one sport that gets considered like for rich assholes more than racing does <laughs> <laughs> one in particular so and, you know it's kind of similar because uh, like racing is built off the back of just generous hardworking great New Zealanders that often get paid pretty poorly work way worse hours than I do. And then, you know, there's a lot of the people with money own a lot of the horses and reap a lot of the benefits. And and a lot of them, you know, don't get me wrong, have worked hard to get there. Yeah. But there are – it's kind of like I feel sorry in the sailing scheme of things to the actual sailors out there around the yacht clubs around New Zealand that are good yachties and really good people and kind of cop the hard end of it when people say, oh, sailors or yachties are all just dickheads, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. I get that. It's, it's not all 
it's all it's one in particular I think that tends to <laughs> stick in most people's craw. Um, but hey, you know it's all about being able to afford to buy doors, uh, you, you know your kids horses. So that's what it's all about um, for some of us, mate. Um, now on on the thoroughbred racing uh, front, we got uh, obviously a matter matter today. Uh, what are you liking? Uh, how are you going to buffer my my TAB account? Well, matter matter, and it's it's going to be a dead track. It's a good day down there. It's last day. Jamie Richards' name is going to be on the mm-hmm. sheet as a trainer. So I reckon Tiaka are going to go out with an absolute boom here, and I reckon you can back Victoria Rock with about as much confidence as you can anything in race four. But you're only getting a dollar fifty, so you might want to multi it with race eight. Kai either a place or to win. I think Kai's well due a winning turn, and I think it's she's good enough to win. And uh, there's also another couple of. I mean, they've got chances across the day. Espionage second up now. Um, Charmander in race seven. The other one I'm looking at though, and I said on breakfast is race number. Th- Three, uh, there's a, a horse going around the Waikato stud colours called Neighbourhood, and it flopped out of the gates last time and flew home. Lee Thinnis rides this time, obviously an experienced hoop, um, and I think with a good barrier, Neighbourhood can go close. Yeah, good stuff. All right, I'm going to look at that and invest maybe a place for Neighbourhood and wins from, what, Kai and Rock? That wouldn't be a poor multi. Yeah, all right, good stuff. Thanks very much. Uh, Louis, we'll let you go home now. Uh, that has been your Love Racing update, loveracing.nz. For all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, reviews, and more, uh, joining us now on the phone and probably investing uh, shrewdly also in Matter Matter today is Pip from the TAB. G'day, Pip. Good morning, Ricardo. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. Now, uh, what's, what's big for you today? I know you're in Wellington. What's the weather doing? Are we going to get a, a start in the cricket or not? Uh, I'm not quite sure, to be honest. I'm not in Wellington, though. <laughs> well, that, that doesn't help. <laughs> um, no, so I'm not quite sure. But but on the world uh, cricket, there is still the bonus back available as well on selected matches, including the Australia-West Indies one today. So you can check out the TNCs there, of course, place a pre-match head-to-head bet, and every team ended up losing in the top run scores, I believe, top overs. Are scheduled over, then you can get a bonus back. So check out the TNCs there. And there's been $5,000 on Australia and $1.07, $300 on Rachel Hines as the Australian top run scorer. Meg Lennon's had the highest bet count, though, and for West Indies, it's been Hayley Matthews. So that's the way uh, hunters are playing so far. Australia, obviously, the clear-cut favourites. And just quickly, Ricardo, this is the last week to get involved in the Warriors bonus back if you think they can make the top eight hopefully with that win over the weekend and coming back to New Zealand might just give them a bit of confidence as well so it's the last week you can get involved if you want to do that Yeah good stuff Pip, thanks for coming on mate uh, go well and uh, good luck at Matter Matter today Thanks mate, looking forward to it Good stuff, a pip there from the TAB. Watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly, R18. Now, we're doing things a little differently in the next hour due to availability. Angus Tarval from the Chiefs is going to join us, but not till around 11.30. So we are going to bring uh, Stumped by Ricardo Ford. So if you want to win a $50 TAB bonus bet and some sleep drops, your time to do it is now. Get on the phone, 0800 150 and straight up. After Araha's news and support, we are going to play Stumped by Ricardo. So get on the phone, 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, and Angus Tarvel coming up for us around 11.30. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, we're changing things up a little bit to make room for Angus Ta'aval from the Chiefs later on the show. Normally we'd be playing Stumped uh, by Smithy, but not by Smithy today. It is Ricardo Ball at 11.30. Coming in hot straight after the 11 o'clock news. Uh, Ricardo, I think you've done okay so far on the whole stumping front, mate. You're doing all right. Done, done all right. All right. I'd be interested to see how I go today, given that I know uh, a couple of the potential subjects here. We'll see. We'll see. I'll bring up the subjects very, very shortly. But this is what you could win today. Uh, $50 worth of TAB bonus bets plus some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Try New Zealand Sleep Drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take as directed. Uh, visit them at sleepdrops.co.nz. And joining us at the crease first up is Alvin from Auckland. Come in, mate. Good day. Hey, mate. How you doing? How's your day looking? Yeah, not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good. I can't wait to get out. I've seen uh, some shots from uh, Emma Olsen, uh, one of our newsreaders, that Auckland looks like a beautiful day. So looking forward to getting out and seeing a little bit of sunshine later. Uh, but first of all, for any new listeners, this is how the game works. We have three sporting categories to choose from today. Answer all three questions correctly and you can win it all. But you get a question wrong, it's over to main man Ricardo for a chance to knock your bails off. Get out on the first two questions and it's on to the next caller in line. Uh, get dismissed on that final question and we jackpot tomorrow. Now, Alvin, the topics for today are the America's Cup, ice hockey, and the UFC. Take your pick. I will go UFC. All right. Ooh. Big uh, fight sports fan, are you? Yeah, love it. Nice. It's going that way, eh? It's going that way. Like, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of Kiwis are definitely getting right behind the UFC. So, we'll see how you go, mate. We'll see how Ricardo goes as well. First question. Three days. Who handed Conor McGregor his first UFC loss? Uh, Nate Diaz. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. And away it goes. Wow, you, you know your stuff, mate. Right in there, coming in hot. All right, second question. Mark Hunt. Now, we had our Mount Rushmore yesterday talking about favourite uh, fighters. He's definitely a guy you wouldn't want to mess with. Uh, who was his final UFC win against? Um, was it Nielsen? One of the worst things I have ever seen. <laughs> done on a cricket field? Unfortunately not. Ricardo, over to you, mate. Justin Willis? Oh. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Unfortunately, no. Alvin, you are still alive. The correct answer was Derek Lewis by TKO. He was the headliner for UFC Fight Night in Auckland back in June 2017. Feels like such a long, long time ago. Final question for you, Alvin. Still all on the line. The $50 TAB bonus bets into your account and the sleep drops. UFC fighters have some of the greatest names, nicknames. Uh, and in New Zealand circles, we have Don't Blink, The Stylebender, and The Hangman. But who was the villain? Who was the villain? Um... I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, I cannot remember. Yo, Romeo? One of the worst things 
I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Uh, unfortunately not. Ricardo, it's over to you. You could be getting a stump in here, maybe? Yeah, well, you did say Kiwi, right? This is So it's a Kiwi UFC fighter? Yes. Yeah. Is it Dylan? Dylan the villain? Um, it's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the Andrew slot. Still in the the That's the one. Dylan the villain. Andrews. That's a stumping. So tomorrow we will jackpot to $100. Uh, TAB bonus bets. Alvin, hard luck, mate, but you, you really fought well there in the octagon with uh, Ricardo. Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah. Hey, Alvin, are you still there? Yeah. Yeah, I know we did the. I know we did our Mount Rushmore the other day, but I mean, if we if you had to put four faces on the Mount Rushmore of fighters, um, could be anything: boxing, UFC, wrestling, whatever. Who would your four faces be? Muhammad Ali. Yep. Mike Tyson. Yep. Ray Sifford. Sugarfoot. And the fourth would probably be. Can just go past Anderson Silva. Yeah. Okay. Good call, man. That's a, that's a, that's a great four. I had Ali and Tyson in there as well, but that, that's a that's a really good four. I put uh, George St Pierre and, and Ronda Rousey in there as my other two. But uh, thanks for your call, Elvin. Good to chat. Thank you. Cheers. Have a good day. Yeah, no worries. We'll do that again tomorrow. Hundred hundred bucks, Logan. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I kind of thought maybe someone might come in on the America's Cup and test you since you, <laughs> yeah. a, as you could see that on the panel. That would have been the play. That would have been the play. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of passionate fans of UFC in New Zealand. And, I mean, I think our uh, newsroom here in SCNZ is, a co- you know, a little microcosm of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, uh, you can't you can't turn up to work and not talk UFC with Neeps because Neepia has always got the latest UFC card open and he's like, how crazy is this? How crazy is this card? This card's going to be off the hook. And nine times out of ten, he's probably wearing an Israel Adesanya T-shirt. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know how many he owns, but I think it's a few. I think it's a few. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, but uh, your chance uh, to play uh, Stump by Ricardo again tomorrow. Be back to the usual time of 11.30. Of course, Angus Tarval from the Chiefs is coming up after 11.30 today. Uh, now, today's Bailey's property of the week is 66 Kokopu Block Road in Mangatapuri. Uh, it's a 56-hectare uh, um, block in a style and class of its own, located in the highly sought-after uh, Mangatapuri area, 15 minutes from the Whangarei CBD. This immaculately presented property in two titles is a rare find. Now, it's split between farming and avocados. The farming operation is approximately 47 hectares and dedicated to cropping maize, baleage and grazing cattle. Adding to the portfolio is a newly developed 2,500 tree avocado orchard of clonal rootstocks planted on 8 hectares. All blocks have been developed using the latest planting methods and are fully sprinkler irrigated. Both the farm and orchard are well supported with quality infrastructure including excellent internal roading, well-fenced paddocks, cattle yards, loading bay, 8-bay implement shed with workshop and a secure water supply for the farm and the orchard. The drive through the native bush is truly spectacular leading to the sprawling recently built designer four-bedroom home. Cleverly positioned, the house takes on in the countryside views whilst maintaining privacy. Entertaining family and friends will be an absolute delight with generous open plan living and easy transition from indoor to outdoor areas. With significant capital invested over the last several years, it's safe to say the hard work is now done. Enjoy the balance or take it to the next level. The property is brought to the market by Vinnie Buller of Bailey's Country. View this and 83 other remarkable opportunities in Bailey's Country magazine at baileys.co.nz slash 
country. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, no Smithy with us, of course, because of the Cricket World Cup. So he is in Wellington. Um, the Basin Reserve is the home of the first semi-final of the Cricket uh, World Cup. Uh, this one between the Australians and the Windies. Uh, but the weather is uh, not looking great at the moment. It is definitely not playing ball. We have a rain delay at the moment. Um, there's a waiting for the toss um, at the moment, so we'll have to uh, just play rain watch for the next hour or so. Uh, I guess a good question will be uh, Elise Perry. Um, she's not going to play today, so who do they put in uh, in Elise Perry's position? Because that's the thing, talking yesterday uh, to the coach of uh, the Australian cricket team. You know, we're talking about just how good a player Elise Perry is. I mean, it's not often you get a player who opens the bowling and bats four. Uh, I mean, the last one I can remember that did something similar to that uh, would have been Jacques Cullis for the protest. So, yeah, she's going to be a big miss. So uh, interesting to see how that goes and also uh, see how many overs we're going to get in today. Um, now, the toss has been delayed, as I said. Uh, the ground staff are doing their thing, and uh, we're just waiting to see um, what they do. Uh, the rain has stopped now, uh, but there's a lot of mist hanging around, and there's no wind to speak of to shift anything. So I guess it's just uh, trying to dry the outfield at the moment, which might take some time. Uh, we will keep you up to date with that here on SENZ uh, Mornings with Ian Smith. We'll come back uh, with your thoughts and ours after this. We'll go around the world and look at some of the big sporting stories doing the rounds. It's 12 past 11. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. At 17 past 11 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy on World Cup duty at the Basin Reserve today for the semi-final between Australia and the West Indies. Uh, no announcement yet uh, on uh, the toss or when we might get some uh, a start to play. Uh, it is pretty misty down there at the moment. They're waiting for that to lift uh, so they can draw out the outfield by the looks of things. But time to go around the world and look at some of the big stories from around the world in sport. And of course, uh, tonight you will have heard uh, advertising it on the station from 9 o'clock you can tune in here on SENZ and catch coverage of Shane Warne's state funeral out of Melbourne um, and there's been uh, man I talk about a guest list Sachin Tendulkar is going to be there, Greg Norman's going to be there, Stephen Fleming's going to be there, Brian Lara, Nasser Hussein, Wazim Akram all paying their respects um, to Shane Warne um, Liz Hurley apparently is not going to fly into Melbourne, but she will do some video link up or something apparently, so she's going to be there. Uh, Robbie Williams has been confirmed as the latest big name to farewell him because uh, the star power are there already, if you can call it that. Elton John and Ed Sheeran um, have uh, announced that they're going to be singing uh, at the thing, and so is Coldplay's frontman Chris Martin. I, all I can say to that is the thought of Robbie Williams, Ed Sheeran and Chris Martin. It's like, haven't people suffered enough? I mean, you know, like really, I can't think of anything worse, to be honest. Um, but they are all going to be part of the ceremony, which made me think, Logan, if, you know, you could have a, a, a hand in planning your own funeral, as grim as that may sound, uh, but you could choose anybody you wanted to to play at your farewell, uh, who would it be? Yeah, 
I mean, unfortunately, with the passing uh, several years ago of Chester Bennington, I would have said straight away, Lincoln Park, mm-hmm. of course, now he passed away and uh, Lincoln Park have done nothing since. Mike Shinoda has done a lot of solo stuff, so and I'm a big Mike Shinoda fan, so maybe... Maybe him, or if Yellow Card came back together, oh and God, there's a, there's a flashback. Yeah. Yellow Card, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure my pop punk email roots there by say, saying that one. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely not Robbie Williams, Coldplay, or Elton John or Ed Sheeran. None of those really float my boat when it comes to music. No, no, I mean Elton. Respect to Elton for what he's done, but the others, yeah, nah, get to the sea, uh, as it were. But um, <laughs> if you have a, uh, some thoughts on who you know, if if, if you had the chance to plan it. Who would you want to play at your farewell? Give us a text on the uh, Temper Bedpost text machine. Double eight double three double eight double three is the number. Elsewhere, uh, it looks like Tiger. Is Tiger back? Are we saying Tiger's back? The Tiger hunt is on. This is wild, Ricardo. I've I've been following this this morning, and people have been really following this because they've been tracking the movements of his private jet and where he's going. He actually landed uh, at Augusta National, and he, he played a practice round, uh, apparently to maybe gauge whether he's fit to compete at the Masters next week. Maybe, maybe. We don't really know. If he does, it'll be the first official tournament uh, since that uh, serious car crash back in February uh, 2021 that left him hospitalized for weeks and unable to walk for months. So the fact that he can now come back and uh, do a head around the golf course at Augusta, yeah, I mean, that's that's massive for him. Uh, but he was doing a hit around with uh, Charlie Woods. Ah, okay, cool. Little, little Charlie and uh, good family friend Justin Thomas as well. So maybe trying to get a match fit there to play at Augusta. I mean, it would be awesome, but it is crazy to think uh, that golf reporters and stuff, this is, came from Bob Herrick at uh, SI.com, that, yeah, people are tracking his movements and really, really on the tiger hunt. Yeah, well, and I mean, if he does come back and play in this, even if it's not this year, if it's next year, but that is remarkable because everything that you heard kind of around that car accident he had, that it was that was him done, you know, just physically, just uh, particularly after all the back and leg issues he had already previously had, that this was going to ruin him and uh, that'd be it. So uh, props to him if he does come back from that. I think. Yeah. It's, that's huge. I had a couple of texts through asking about if uh, Foxy... Uh, would be going to uh, Ryan Fox going to warn his funeral I don't know to be honest I don't know they were pretty tight so I wouldn't rule it out I wouldn't say no uh, warn his funeral yeah, we're going to have the state coverage here on SENZ Tony I don't know what Sky uh, are going to do about it I'm not sure if they've got it but uh, we definitely have it here on SENZ uh, Simon saying perhaps the funeral isn't about your personal music taste well whose would it be about if it's not about me, who is it about? Come on, Simon. It's your choice. Uh, so so take it. Uh, and another text here uh, saying, uh, we would have to get Tool to play around my farewell. Lateralis on the way in and descending on the way out. That is that is a great call. How long's the descent? Yeah, well, that's a lot. I mean, given it's, a, it's going to take you at least 10 minutes. So there'll be, there'll be a lot of straining arms as they're lowering you while they wait for the descending to, to, to play out. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Um, now, uh, Simon's also said they're obviously there because they obviously knew Warney and not as high entertainment. Well, maybe, maybe not. I, I probably did, uh, but they are playing, Simon. That is the point. So thanks for your text, double eight, double three. Keep the texts coming in. Who would you want to play at your farewell? Um, certainly for mine. Not Ed Sheeran um, or Coldplay, but uh, yeah, keen to hear from you. And on yours, uh, what else have we got going on, uh, Logan? 
Oh, well, yesterday we talked about the NFL uh, looking at proposed changes to their overtime rules. This has all moved so quickly that they've already uh, voted on it. Mm. Uh, concerned that the coin toss was going to, uh, at the beginning of the extra period, was too much impact on a postseason game and the results there. Uh, the owners voted to approve the proposal that was presented by the Colts uh, and the Eagles, which is all around the teams both getting a chance to possess the ball and score a touchdown on that series. Uh, if they do, their opponent still gets a chance. In recent seasons, that touchdown would have ended the game. So now teams get a right of reply, which uh, I think in all fairness is trying to keep you know the, the game going. But, you know, I mean, if you do score a touchdown on that opening drive and then that's it. I mean, sure, at least you get to have a fight back. The Titans recommended that both teams possess the ball in overtime unless the team that got the kickoff scored a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Uh, but the owners kind of thought that was a bit gimmicky, mm-hmm. uh, which potentially, yeah, maybe it was. So they've gone with their Colts-Eagles proposal. So that will kick in at the start of the next season, changes to overtime. Yeah, okay, interesting. Uh, and I think pretty sensible changes, which isn't something that could always be levelled at the NFL, but I think that's pretty sensible, um, that those those changes that have been made. Uh, keep your text coming through on the Temper Bed Post text machine, double eight double three. Who would you want to play your farewell, uh, Dale, with Trinity Roots or Wu Tang, Wu Tang Clan. Uh, keep them, those coming through. Double eight, double three. Uh, now, something that intrigues me is how the NRL judiciary works, and maybe I shouldn't spend too much mind power on it because it might drive me insane. Because it doesn't seem to have any rhyme nor reason. Now, uh, Mitch Barnett from the Newcastle Knights uh, dropped an elbow into somebody's head in their game. He got binned at the time. And now he's been given six weeks off uh, by the judiciary. And I'm like, good, that's fine, that's great. It's what the judiciary is there for. What I don't understand is how Nelson Asafa Solomona from the um, Melbourne Storm hasn't been censured at all. At all. And now, if you haven't seen this, I, I, I suggest you go to NRL.com and look it up because it'll be on there. Uh, but uh, Parramatta player. Uh, Emilia Makatoa was in a tackle and there were two Melbourne Storm players already on him. He was kind of halfway down. He was kind of like being held up by one player uh, and another player tackling him. He couldn't move. He wasn't going anywhere. Nelson Asafa Solomona, at about six foot eight or whatever he is, comes in from behind him and using his bicep slash crook of his elbow, uh, absolutely loose arms him around the back of the head. Now, I thought any uh, contact to the head was going to be a, a binning and then possibly judiciary. He's got nothing. The referee didn't spot it, right? Okay, sometimes that happens. You, you give that to the referee. But the fact that Fox, I was watching the Fox coverage on Sky, replayed the incident about five or six times. How did the bunker not spot it? Because that's the bunker's job, I would have thought. It's there for all to see, plain as day. And then the judiciary to do nothing about it. That is a joke, if you ask me. Uh, that is... Hmm, I mean, people talk about Melbourne getting the rub of the green. I remember, I'm trying to remember who it was against now, but there was a playoff game when Billy Slater was still playing. And there was a, uh, a play, an opposition player going in in the corner to score a try in like the last couple of minutes, which would have changed the result. And Billy Slater came flying across and shoulder-charged the, uh, the winger in the head, side of the head, which stopped him dotting down. Should have been a penalty try. Slater should have been gone, gone for weeks. No, nothing happened. 
you do wonder if the Melbourne Storm don't, for some reason, get the rub of the green. Is it because they're owned by the NRL? I don't know. Uh, yeah, but that one, for me, I don't know if you've seen those, but you should definitely check those out. That is a head-scratcher. makes no sense for me from a rugby league point of view. Double eight double three is our text line. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Keep your thoughts coming through on uh, what song you'd want to fear well you, what band you'd want to fear well you. Uh, the Rolling Stones from Dave. You can't always get what you want, but you can get what you need from Dave. Thanks, Dave. I like that. That is a, that is a great suggestion. So keep those uh, coming through. And uh, Richard has said that I've had my burial song sorted for years. Uh, it is Lay Me Down Easy. Um, which is a which is a great song as well. So keep those coming in on double eight double three. How do you want to be farewelled uh, when it, when the time comes? Which band would you have? What song would they be playing? Uh, this off the back of news that uh, Shane Warne's state funeral. Um, People are going to be made to suffer even more by having to sit through Ed Sheeran, uh, Elton John and Coldplay's Chris Martin uh, playing. So uh, keen to get your thoughts on that one. Logan, you've got something? Yeah, uh, jumping back on uh, Tony's text there asking if it was going to be on Sky. I've had a look at the guide. Yes, it will be on Sky as well as SCNZ. And uh, if you don't have Sky but you want to watch it, I believe it's been live streamed somewhere. I'm not sure where, maybe YouTube. But um, speaking of Australians... Maybe not a great Australian, depending on uh, how you sit on it. Nick Kyrgios has had another wild temper tantrum. No, I got to. Yeah, you don't say. I got to get this. I'll, I'll play it out later uh, in the show before we wrap up. Yeah, he's had a bit of a meltdown uh, being knocked out in the fourth round of the Miami Open against uh, Yannick Sinner. Definitely got to play that later because. Uh, it's another good one from Curios. Yeah, you got to love a Curios blow-up. Uh, morning, guys. I would have Bad Company singing Shooting Star on the way in and then their self-titled song, Bad Company, on the way out. Cheers, Steve. Thanks for your text, Steve. Uh, keep, keep them coming uh, on double eight double three double eight double three, and uh, we will uh, keep reading those out on the Temper Bedpost uh, text machine. Uh, your thoughts on how you'd want to go out, who you want playing at your funeral, and, uh, and what song they'd be playing. I've always, always fancied uh, Metallica Fade to Black as, as, as There as it is. I was waiting for the Metallica. Yeah, Metallica Fade to Black for me, but uh, I did go to a funeral of a, of a, of a, of a mate a couple of years ago, and uh, I don't know if you know it, uh, Logan, it's a Pantera song called Becoming, uh, and that was what he played, uh, well he didn't play it obviously because he was dead, but that was what they played uh, coming in, uh, but the chorus of that song is I'm Becoming God Size um, which I thought was was quite nice, and then he played some Heaven Shall Burn on the way out, so uh, yeah, that that was solid choices. The band Heaven Shall Burn, or is it a song? No, the band Heaven yeah, Shall Burn. Oh, yeah, I think the song heavy. Valhalla. That is very heavy. Valhalla was the song they played, I think, from memory coming out. So there you go. Uh, but keep those coming in on double eight double three. That is our Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, not too far away, Angus Tarvel is going to join us out of the Chiefs. Up now, though, it is the latest in news and sport from Aroha Hathaway. This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy is on World Cup duty, just uh, seeing uh, pictures from Wellington now of the Basin Reserve where it's been raining most of the morning. Uh, of course, that game was supposed to start uh, half an hour ago. Uh, they haven't done the toss yet, uh, waiting for that to dry up so they can get the outfield dry. So I would imagine we're looking at reduced overs here um, from the Basin. Uh, and man, Wellington is looking pretty grey and pretty misty. Um, they do have a reserve day, which is tomorrow, I believe, so that might be be what comes into it, but we will see. Uh, joining us now uh, to talk uh, all, all things rugby is um, possibly uh, 
I think, jockey's number one underwear model currently, Angus Tarvow. G'day, Angus. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. G'day, mate. Thanks. For, sorry, I've just got a train gun on. In the, uh, I'm just at Chiefs HQ and we're, we're right, right next to the train and it's happened to, uh, to come along. But apart from the background noise, yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, no worries. I, Izzy was doing breakfast this morning and uh, I did the sort of changeover chat. They said, oh, who's coming on? And I said, we've got Angus Tarvow on. He's like, mate, Mate, ask him about ask him about his jockey's career. Um, he's, he he reckons that there, there are props of yesteryear turning in their grave with the thoughts of a of a prop modelling jockeys. Um, how have you found it? How's it changed your life? Oh, mate, you know you probably look at the, the jockey mod- models of the past, and if, you know they're still there. You're, you're shredded, your back, your <laughs> your maybe your, your Lucy, who's a bit trimmer and and got the six pack. But you know, I think it's it's going in a, in a good direction now, where they're you know they're they're allowing you know all sorts of body body shapes and sizes to be out there and and you know i was lucky enough to to break through for the props and and be the first and mate you know i think there's some some good looking props out there there's probably hopefully you know i won't be the last yeah well i mean in terms of the top three best looking props in new zealand um obviously you're number one who's two and three oh that's tough i think you'd have to do a poll for that okay i might might be a bit biased to to, to chiefs players you know I'll, i'll 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 no, I, I couldn't do that to them. There's, there's some, some handsome ones, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, Ollie Norris has got a bit of the uh, the teenage heartthrob about him, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's a bit of a, a young buck coming through. He's got some, some nice little eyes and uh, he looks after himself, you know. He gets his hair, you know, he gets his hair done and mm. he's got quite a big head, you know, so he's, it's, it's a big feature of him, but um, he definitely does have that look about him. <laughs> Mate, we should talk some rugby. Uh, how's things in camp after uh, after that game against the the Saders? Of course, you did so well to beat them in Christchurch a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you get to take them on at home, but uh, boy, it was, a, it was it was a different match, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, first of all, it was awesome to be back at home. I think it was like ten months since we played at FMG and, and have the fans back. Um, but it's sort of a, one of those games where you know the the stuff that we could. Um, you know, control and get over. We probably let ourselves down. I think at around 50 minutes or so, it was 15 to 12, and um, we had some awesome opportunities to play, and it probably let ourselves down at the breakdown, and, and a few of those uh, when they kicked to us and, and counter-rucked us and, and turned it over, and um, just simple skill set stuff, you know, which is, in the scheme of things, it's, it's not massive changes that we need to make, but it's um, it's just disappointing that it happened on, on a weekend where it would have been lovely to get up in, in front of a home fan. Yeah, of course it would have been. And also, you know, winning away in Christchurch means so much. Um, but for it to really count later in the season, you need to do the double, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you look at how this competition's sort of going and, and you, you need to win these ones against, against our, uh, the home derbies and, and against New Zealand teams and... You know, down the track, you know, obviously it's the eight out, of, eight out of 12 teams make it into playoffs and, you know, we'd like to back ourselves to make that eight, but it's important to be at home and, and then winning these ones early, you know, it sets you up really well. So a bit disappointing, but I mean, you know, you've got to take the learnings and move on and, and look to the Canes. Yeah, well, you've got, you got the Canes on Sunday. We'll get to that one, mate. Um, how big a loss was Guzzler after half an hour? Yeah, I mean, everyone knows how much of a, a big part um, of you know New Zealand rugby and, and of course Chiefs rugby does or is he's he's just a, the engine on him the physicality the brutality the leadership I mean uh, you know it's definitely a tough loss probably in the, in the last few years it, it definitely would have hurt a bit more because we've been a bit uh, light on locks but mm. you know our locking stocks this year we've got probably five you know top quality locks and someone's been missing out um, every single week and 
you know, I think it's a good opportunity for some of these young guys to step in and, and try and mark their own, you know, space that, that they've probably been doing the last couple of years while Guzzler's been uh, <laughs> enjoying the yen over in Japan. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, you know, somebody that has impressed, of course, has been Josh Lord. He was an All Black last season. He looks like a, uh, you know, a mini Guzzler in the making. But uh, Naitoa Akoi as well, um, he's got some skills, hasn't he? He looks, he looks good. He looks uh, athletic around the park as well. Uh, kind of nice to have a couple of different style locks that you can depend on. Well, exactly. You know, those two names you've mentioned, you know, I think one's 20, 21, one's 22 years old. And um, they've, you know, Naitor's had had the last couple of years to really to really grow as a player. And obviously, Josh Law being on the interview tour last year. And, um, you know, he's so, I mean, he's athletically gifted and, and skill set wise. And, and both those guys, what I've loved seeing them is, is just the confidence and how they play. You know, they're not afraid to, to get stuck in and put their hand up and, and go to work. Of course, uh, yeah, it's not, you, you mentioned there's a few other names in there as well. One of those is Tupu Vai, uh, and I know you're not the coach and you're not the selector and stuff, but I mean, you know, he's nominally been known as a lot, but man, he's been going great at six, hasn't he? Especially being able to j- uh, just range a little bit wider, run that sort of, uh, the uh, you know, the second receiver route. Oh, well, I mean, I talked about the, the quality of blocks we had, and when we, when we you know, some of our, our flankers went down, we got a guy like Tupu who can, <laughs> who's pretty much slid into that six position and you know, there was nothing lost, you know, he, he, and he's probably been one of our best players over the last few weeks, and, mm. and you know, he's another young guy who I think, you know, he wants to fill a position, um, whatever he can for the team, but he's definitely, you know, he sees himself as, as a lock, and uh, with Gus Lagon, you know, probably get back into the engine room and, and fulfill that role, but, you know, he's still got that capability to, to be out wide, and, you know, his footwork is unreal, his skill set's awesome, and, and he's working on the little intricate parts of his game as well, which is, I mean, it's, it's awesome to see. You got a big game this uh, this Sunday afternoon. A Sunday afternoon game, Angus. How, how do you feel about that as a player? Given you play so many games under lights, getting to run around like it's old old club style footy in an, on an afternoon. Oh, I, th- I think the boys really really uh, appreciate it. You know, you sort of have that, that seven o'clock game, and it, it turns into to being quite a long day. And you know, by the time you're done, you know, your your family's probably gone home to sleep. You know, it's nine nine thirty ten o'clock. So. That other game, yeah, it's that you know, it's almost that throwback sort of feeling where, you know, you just you just back out playing playing a bit of footy with the lads under the sun, and well, hopefully a bit of sun. You know, Wellington looks after us this week. We'll see, um, but it's you know, it's, it's it doesn't it doesn't eat into the day as much, and you know, it's probably better for the fans, easier to to attend to. You've still got stuff you can do afterwards, and oh, the boys love it. Yeah, mate, it's fantastic watching day forty as well, especially with the you know young families and stuff. You can get in there and, and then get the kids home before dinner, so that's it's always good for the crowd. And we hopefully we can get a decent crowd in at the cake tin as well. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I've, I've, I love when you get, get to a game and you can see whole you know young young families, young kids, and after the game, you know, you know, you you'll probably you know a lot of us were there and 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 that in that place a long time ago, and um, to get the families out and. And watch a bit of footy, and you know, having crowds back is, is awesome. So hopefully, you know, Wellington looks after us. The toys, you never know what's happening down there. But <laughs> I haven't checked the weather forecast, so um, well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. It's not looking flash today. I tell you that much for the cricket, as you as you probably heard, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, not good, mate. Not good. And now, uh, you know, you, you're going to uh, take on a, a Canes team that you got to think will be hurting after losing to Moana Pacifica uh, last weekend. But man, they looked a different team without Artie, didn't they? Artie gives them so much go forward. Yeah, I mean he's he's massive uh, in terms of of who he is and, and how he plays and the leadership role he has there. You know, he's such an integral uh, part of that team. Really leads that four pack around. So, 
Um, you know, hopefully he can you know, get everyone. You know, we all love to see Adi playing. Um, whether you're, you know, you want the challenge of playing against the best, and, and he's definitely up there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like us, you know, both teams will be hurting. You always want to bounce back from a from a, a you know a tough loss, and um, obviously Moana stood up and, and earned that win. So I think there'll be some fireworks this weekend. Yeah, and no, I'm looking forward to it, man. I can tell you, I just looked up the uh, Met Service app. It is hosing on Friday, but it's supposed to be fine Saturday, Sunday. So should it dry it out enough for you to uh, to see Gullet and score one in the corner at some point, Angus? <laughs> oh, I might leave that to the flashy guys. I think they don't come around too often, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'll be looking forward to get down to the, the cake tin and, and baking cakes. Yeah, indeed, mate. Indeed. Well, you never know. If you get out there, see Gullet score a try, the, you know, jockey might chuck another zero on the end of the next uh, contract. <laughs> well, hopefully, mate. Uh, that, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Hey, good stuff, man. Uh, been great chatting to you, Angus. Go well, bro. I uh, hope the week is good for you, and uh, good luck against the Canes uh, on the weekend, eh? Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Nah, anytime, man. Angus Tarvau there, out of the Chiefs here. It's a 3.30 kickoff on Sunday afternoon um, against uh, the Hurricanes for the Chiefs at the Cakes. And looking forward to that game. It's going to be one of the games of the weekend. This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, 18 away from midday. This is the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 13 away from midday here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for him uh, as Smithy is on World Cup duty. Now, uh, just had released uh, the Highlanders squad to play the Crusaders on Friday night at Orange Theory Stadium. Uh, this is what the team looks like. It looks it's just pretty good, actually. Pretty uh, pretty handy forward pack. Daniel Lennett-Brown, Andrew Makaleo, the former Crusader, of course, at, at Hooker, and Josh Honick. That's the front row. Then Bryn Evans and Josh Dixon are the locks. Shannon Frizzell, who's been going great guns. Uh, James Lynch's uh, the Lucy's at number eight is Marino Amika Ali Atu'u and then uh, halfback is Aaron Smith Mitch Hunt at ten on the wings it is Mosesi Dawai and Sam Gilbert uh, midfield is Scott Gregory and Fetulu Paya and fifteen is Connor Garden Bashup in the reserves Reese Marshall Ethan De Groot Jerome a- uh, Jermaine Ainsley I should say uh, the front row replacements Manaki Selby Rick at the replacement lock Gareth Evans uh, in the twenty jersey. Will earn his 50th Highlanders cap off the bench as well as loose forward cover. Then you've got uh, 21 is Falau Fakatava, the replacement halfback, Marty Banks, and Denny Solomona, who will be uh, coming on uh, to make his 50th Super Rugby cap at some point as well. The former England international who, uh, of course, uh, came out of New Zealand and then went north. Uh, that is uh, how the Highlanders shape up against the Crusaders. Looking forward to that battle. It should be a good one. Now, speaking of battles, Logan, it's always a battle when Nick Kyrgios is on the court. It's Nick against the world, isn't it? <laughs> I love the way you uh, introed that. That was great. Yeah, we mentioned uh, in our Around the World segment there that uh, Kyrgios has had another tantrum. Uh, I've got audio of it. I'm going to play it first and then we can sort of get into the context. But this is just classic Kyrgios. But what is unsportsmanlike? I was talking to my friend. No, 
It's a racket. And there goes the racket. RIP <laughs> that tennis racket. Yep, that's right. Uh, that all came about because the chair umpire, Carlos uh, Bernandez, uh, his walkie-talkie went off midpoint in the first set and that kind of got Kyrgios seething a little bit. And it just kind of went from there. And then he, he pulled the ultimate. He pulled the ultimate. I want to speak to your manager. <laughs> should, we, should we rename him Karen Kyrgios? <laughs> that's, that's really good for you. It, it gets even better from there. Uh, of course, he, got a, he received a point violation for that, for uh, unsportsmanlike conduct. Uh, the, the chaos continued, though, because then a fan invaded the court to try and get a selfie with Kyrgios, prompting security to intervene. So things got a little bit wild at the Miami Open there. Yeah, I, to be honest, that's not the best time to try and get a selfie with Nick, I wouldn't have thought, because he's the kind of bloke that, I don't know how he took it, but I can imagine him being, if he's already filthy with the umpire, the interruptions, you come on, you're likely just to get a racket around the back of the bonds, aren't you? Yeah, that would be great TV, though. That's kind of like, you know, a cr- you know when you see like a, a streaker in the cricket and then uh, you get smacked with a cricket bat or yeah. in the rugby and you see the security come and absolutely nail the guy with a tackle. I mean, it's always great TV. I, I can imagine something like that happening with Kyrgios, uh, but he could potentially see the red mist a little bit. Um, but, yeah, wild things. Wild things in tennis. Wild things in tennis, indeed. Yeah, who was it? it was Andrew Simons, I think, that uh, took to that spectator's backside with a cricket bat, wasn't it? The Australian, former Australian all-rounder. Yeah, interesting. All right, uh, coming up, uh, we're going to catch up with Staff, because uh, Staff from Midday is opening the lines, because he wants uh, your thoughts on the America's Cup going to Barcelona, and whether or not it is indeed Team New Zealand any longer. Uh, so we're going to get Staff in shortly to talk about what is coming up for you after Midday. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.